What's up, Sifters? The Fourth is with you today on Game Face episode 48, Star Wars Day, Matt. Do anything to celebrate Star Wars Day today? No, I've been working all day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, just right off the top, Respawn did something for yeah. Star Wars Day today. Respawn Entertainment, some people working there that we're pretty good friends with, announced today that they are working on a third-person action-adventure in the Star Wars universe. Very nice. That's all they announced so far. Uh, Stig, <laughs> how do you say his last name? Rasmussen? Rasmussen? Rasmussen, I can't remember. Yeah. But uh, Stig used to work on the God of War franchise, yeah. and also a great guy to boot. One of, some, one of the best yeah, interviews is, I've done. He is also, he's, just, he's an excellent, just an excellent like, project runner. Basically. He's a good he's, communicator. He's, he's good and, at it. He's handling the project, so it's in good hands, I would mm -hmm. think. Obviously, the tech and the backbone at Respawn is already good. Holy cow, a Respawn, man. Yeah. Talk about a studio that's really expanding and quickly. Yeah. Uh, just after one Titanfall, now they're a two-game studio. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. But uh, there was kind of some rumblings. Like, we knew that Stig had gone over there, but they didn't say what he was working on. Yeah, we on. knew he was doing something. I didn't think... I, didn't, I don't think anyone called it as a Star Wars No, game. no, no. Not at all, for sure. Yeah. But uh, pretty big news there. Yeah. I think we'll probably see some more Star Wars games uh, announced as time goes on. I think I bet EA has just about everybody working on something somewhere. Yeah. Because you don't get that license and then just let it sit. Yeah, that's for sure. And actually, today, our poll of the day, Star Wars theme, makes sense with Star Wars mm -hmm. Day today. Um, the poll basically asks, is it getting too much? Is, well, we or, don't even is we've only a, got one so far. Right, so. but looking at what's coming down the pipe, how much Star Wars can you tolerate? How big of a fan are you? Even if you're a big fan, is it, does it get to a point where it's like too much? I can tolerate all the Star Wars you want to play. Yeah, I kind of figured that. Yeah. <laughs> you're the biggest Star Wars fan I've ever known. It's not so like you have to play it. No, it's well, you have to play. I mean, we do have to play it. Kind well, of if they make Star Wars games, they could be making something else. That's right. always the argument. But I'd rather a good Star Wars game than a good just about anything. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, especially if somebody finally nails the lightsaber thing. And no, Jedi Outcast doesn't count. Jedi Outcast sucks. <laughs> just, it, it's the best we had at the yeah. time. I get that. But it's still find the key, find the, hunt the switch, Raven software design that I hate. And it's just the... It's just, it's, there's no... It's too spastic. Yeah, some I, people do like that game, though. Oh, tons of people love that game, but I think it's terrible, and I thought Jedi Academy was marginally better, um, but I still don't like them. I think they're the most overrated Star Wars games. Yep. Um, even though they are they all still are still kind of pretty with the right mods, yeah. and and like sometimes like, I've seen videos of like kind of the multiplayer, and, and like the people have had some pretty epic matches, but none of mine were like that. It was it was just like, blah, 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 blah. You know, like it, was, <laughs> it was like watching children like wave right. sticks at each other mostly. So I hope we get like, another like, sparklers basically. I hope we get another Jedi game that like kind of really you know kind of made maybe does. I hate to be a broken record, but I, I'd love to see like a Jedi game that used kind of more of a Dark Souls approach to things, like a little more methodical, a little more. Original trilogy combat, you know, like the, the like kind of the the problem the with that is that style. the lightsaber, like just by design, mm. it's one shot. Right. <laughs> but that's the thing. I'm talking like a cross between Dark Souls and like Bushido Blade. Right. You know? Okay. <laughs> like it's all about counter parry, counter parry, and then if you can get through, right, right, boom, like that, that yeah. would be great. It would be huge. I mean, I'm not. I, I'm I don't maybe, know. Would it be huge or? As long as you don't make it like a learning curve on the on par with Dark Souls, I'm just talking about like the detail put into Dark Souls, like hitboxes and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that. Like I think something that, that approaches that level would be because if you look at EA's approach so far, it's been to make the game well game a little more casual, right? To make it more approachable for the Star Wars fan. But I wonder, you know, 
I don't know any numbers on Battlefronts, you know, retained players yeah. numbers at this point, but I wonder what that looks like because I look I haven't touched I, I haven't touched that game since like launch week. I played it when when the best when the, the Outer Rim stuff came out. It yeah. was fine. But again but you know I, I have it on PS4 and PC and the first thing I tried to play PC and there was nobody really? on I, I could I, there were like a couple thousand people wow. on thing. And then I go on PS4 and it's ton, you know, no yeah. problem. But the PC gamers have abandoned that game for the most part. It looked like to me that anecdotal, me anecdotal data completely. But I'm right. just saying, I'm just saying, it looked to me like they even after that expansion had come out, like there was no one. On, it was hard to get into a game because it wasn't enough people playing. And, that doesn't uh, surprise me at all. Well, no, because PC, PC gamers, gamers have are a lot the of, hardest of the hardcore. For right, one. but they, they also have a lot of other options. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hell, they could just go play two again exactly. you know, if they wanted to. You know, yeah, but yeah. or more likely, they've gone back and played more complex shooters with more meat to them. Yep. So a couple more things we want to talk about before we get into the meat of the show. Street Fighter V this week, a little bit of an interesting video came out. Uh, So Guile is a new character just added Mm -hmm. via DLC, which still blows my mind that Guile would be DLC in any Street Fighter game, but that's how it's played out. So he, with him comes his brand new stage, and which is his old stage, which right, <laughs> which I I admire that they yeah. kind of threw, did a like throwback it. for the game. But an eagle-eyed player noticed in the background that one of the characters who has been in the background for a long time, she's been there since '91, right, was suddenly adorned with a new animation routine. Yeah, she. She's always been doing something to that guy. Well, but she like, always she's just kind of like leaning on his like. Leaning on Leg. his knee, and the, but like the, the, I mean, she was either like kind of wiggling her hand or like tickling his balls, yeah. and like no one could, no. One, I mean, look, the backgrounds of Street Fighter Two have all kinds of weird shit yeah, in the yeah, animation yeah. that we used to argue about in the arcade, like, especially in um, uh, Zangief stage, the Russian stage. There's a guy like on the, you know, everybody's up on the railing watching. One guy's like drinking vodka out of a bottle, and one guy is like literally like jerking off at the, at the <laughs> I mean it's like he's doing some like, I guess he's supposed to be yeah. doing that kind of like a, come on like this but it, yeah, totally he's it just doing like that something else. and there's someone well, else doing something me, like that on Ken's stage too. this to me and we actually but this have, is worse this to me like, there's no really debate what's going on there no I mean the movement of the hand plus the open mouth is just sort of like that is, and the direction the hand is going yeah. towards the mouth like how does that get through like QA and, dude I've played that game for like probably 20 hours and like I couldn't tell you what happened to the background but when you're playing those games you don't look at the background yeah yeah because you're just looking at your opponent and yeah. trying to judge distance and so all I, that so I don't know I don't I don't know who managed to sneak that in or if they just or maybe they wasn't sucking maybe they're like oh we'll just throw it in and we'll see if people notice I was pretty shocked like again back in 91 it wouldn't have been a big deal because honestly things maybe, were kind of lax back then but maybe, now yeah, but maybe that's to make it up for maybe that's to make it up for the people that missed the butt slap. That could be. Well, they went the exact. I mean, they eclipsed the butt slap and then some with that one. So maybe maybe it's not a that's not a thing in Japan. I mean, that's like a universal thing, yeah, right? I, I think, don't it think. Is, Yeah, like that's. I think literally that everyone gets that reference. The universal sign of something yeah. we won't mention. Yes, <laughs> but anyway, I found that interesting. Uh, and then the last little anecdote: some information has been coming out about Dishonored Two. Um, Game Informer's cover story, and as always, uh, anytime Game Informer does a cover, they mm. they kick out a bunch of uh, new exclusive content for it. We got the first piece of that today, but also a brand new trailer that came out. Uh, the game is coming out this year, man. Yeah, it's gonna make it. I, I didn't think so. I am really surprised by that. I would have tried to pick it for Fantasy League if I thought. Yeah, it was I think it we this both would have yeah. definitely. I think we both passed on it, never dreaming that it would come out this no, year. No, I, I did not think so. And you know, once they got the cover, though, you know, there's no way they're not going yeah, to put it out this happen. year. Yeah, so that's a good sign. I mean, I guess this is just part of like the new Bethesda, where it's like we don't talk about stuff years out anymore. We 
you know. Well, like, this one they did debut a year ago. A year ago, we but didn't see Squad about it since. But, but that's a lot less time than they used to do. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we were we were looking at uh, Oblivion for quite some time. That's true. Yeah. So maybe we get another like Elder Scrolls announced. Maybe I don't know. And then comes that would be awesome. I mean, presumably they wouldn't release that along with this two of these things in one quarter. I mean, quarter, they're two right? entirely different games. They though. are. Also, I heard. I, I heard, don't know. I don't know. I also heard tale today that uh, oh, one thing we should mention about Dishonored Two. Did you see the voice cast for Dishonored Two? No. Oh, it is just like a who's who of voice acting. It's like people from like Game of Thrones and The mm. Wire. Like they are going all in on this game. Wow. Yeah, I was really, really uh, surprised. Cool. I never quite, I never really got into the original game, but like I always loved the setting and and what they were trying to do. I just never, it never grabbed me. I've had a lot of people try to convince me to finish that mm-hmm. game. I played the first six or seven hours of it, but it came out at a busy time, and I just never went back to it. it ended up in my pile of shame, uh, pile of shame. <laughs> never got to go back to it and play and finish it. So. I, th- I feel like I already have, though, having watched... Uh, the Platinum Journey. Platinum yeah. Journey with that. Like, I feel like I've already experienced like all the most sort of iconic moments from the game, so yeah. my motivation to go back and play it now is pretty slim. I don't see it happening, uh, in all honesty. Yeah, but, it's, uh, it, the, what, the definitive version or whatever looks real nice. Yeah, and I will say one thing, too, is that most of the people who have championed that game are people who generally, I really respect their opinion. So that's kind of something else that made me go back and try to play it again, and I mm. still didn't finish it. So, but yeah, most like sometimes you have people in your circles who say, "Oh, I really love this game," and after a while, it's almost like crying wolf. You're like, "Oh, I don't think that game's good at all." But most of the people who recommended that I finish Dishonored are people who usually supply really good recommendations. So, mm. just never did go back, unfortunately. And then it's another Bethesda anecdote. I learned today that there will not be any pre-reviews for Doom. Oh, I read that, yeah. Bethesda is pulling the whole... Since we have network functionality, we feel, which is total bullcrap. And bull this thing's crap. not going to be on until the day the game goes, goes out. Which is total bullcrap. Like, I could get it for some games, maybe, but for this, where you just literally have, like... Like, okay, what happens if Call of Duty does that? I mean, they're basically... Mm-hmm. They're saying the snap map is, like, that important. Like, it's really not. Probably not. Yeah. And then... And just, we have done the beta already. You know, it's, it's not like it's unseen. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, Doom, no one's going to have reviews for that until probably a couple days after it's yeah, out. probably the Monday after. And then I want to... That comes out on a Friday, right? I believe it does, yeah. yeah. So everyone will be burning through it over the weekend and trying to get their reviews up as quickly as possible, mm. which is never a good scenario, to be honest with you. No. Like, rushing through a game to try to review it rarely ever is a good result. I mean, so. luckily this game is probably not going to be one of those things you get stuck on. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah. I, yeah, pretty much impossible, other than just, like, Maybe there's a part that's difficult, yeah. but well, the old dooms, you could, I mean, you could back when they made shooter maps that were actually complex, you might be able to like, get lost, and not be able to find the red key or whatever. Yeah, but I feel I figure it's not going to happen like that in this game. Yeah, you'll be able to burn through it pretty fast, but it's just like the pressure of that can just put you in the wrong mindset. Oh yeah, it can be really frustrating, man, when mm-hmm. you're trying to get through something and you can't, and you got a deadline. It's tough. Uh, one final note before we get to the big six. Uh, tomorrow morning, you're going to see everyone's Uncharted reviews, except for ours. We did not get the game when everybody else did. Uh, it's supposed to show up like tomorrow or something like that. Um, so our goal is to get our game eval done before the game comes out next Tuesday. Uh, but tomorrow morning, you're going to see reviews of Uncharted 4 from all the major publications. Unfortunately, as a little guy, sometimes we just get squeezed out, and this is one of those cases. So we did not get like the initial shipment of the game. So. 
Just want to get all that stuff out at the top of the show. We have a great show today to celebrate the 4th. Let's get to the big six. So the 4th is with us today. We're definitely going to be talking a good bit about Star Wars. I love Star Wars. Matt loves Star Wars. Hopefully you guys do too because this show is going to have a lot of it. Mm. Um, the first topic we're going to talk about is Matt and I are both going to pick our favorite Star Wars video games of all time. Not an easy task, I might add. No, there's a, well, there's a lot of good ones. There's a lot more bad ones. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You make that many of anything, you're going to... That's probably the way the curve the is going to work out. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, am I starting? Yeah. yeah so, right. Matt, what's your pick? Uh, my favorite Star Wars game of all time is Star Wars TIE Fighter. TIE Fighter. Yeah. I like all the space fighter sim games they've made uh, and the Rogue Squadron games, but my favorite is TIE Fighter. Uh, it's, the, it's the more complex one. Uh, X-Wing was actually kind of primitive in comparison. Like when you play TIE Fighter after the original like 1993 X-Men, X-Wing, it's like, oh wow, they made there's a jump in graphics, a jump in mission design, it's not quite as obtuse. And it's also like this weird uh, look at like the Imperial side of things where like... Um, uh, there's like this weird like way they spin all the missions where like if you were playing them from the re- rebels side like you could clearly see how you were like this horrible imperial raider monster thing yeah. but from the imperial side like they they find a way to make it make sense from their point of view that like what they're doing is correct or enforcing the law or what I mean you're basically like a bunch of corrupt cops a little yeah, bit yeah. and like by the end of the game like you know you're like you're like the emperor's like right hand pilot and stuff and it's like there's a lot of great stuff in that game and i really i, I always like that that the most that it, it was like one of the few times in all the games where you got to see the you were kind of like an imperial cog and you sort of like worked your way up through the ranks and it was it was a unique experience i've got to say gathering footage today for this game it has been a long time since i played it like this is one of those games mm-hmm. that i've gone back to and played again like it's literally been like decades and I was shocked at how awesome this game still looks. Yeah. I mean, look, it's old school it and everything, right. but it's, like, really cinematic. Like, yeah. <laughs> LucasArts was, so like... Lucas was so far ahead of its time yeah. with that kind of thing. Like, trying to make the camera moves work, trying to, you know, make the, make the you know, there's, this famously has the iMuse music yeah. system in the original version where, like, it, you know, the music isn't as high quality as, like, like a Red Book audio, but, like... It changes and morphs and shifts as you play, and like it adapts to you know the only other per- the only other development developer doing that kind of thing at that time in the mid '90s was probably rare. Yeah, uh, you're right. stuff like Banjo Kazooie and stuff where the music would sh- you know you'd get in real time like ban- like Rare's games would shift the music style of the same song to fit like where you were or what you were doing. That was and one of the advantages of when they used to build old game music in MIDI. Yeah. Is because if you if you're building it in MIDI, you you can just use a very simple bus to just fire sound. So you can mm-hmm. build it. You can take everything away and so it's just a beat and then you can bring in just the baseline and you can bring in the xylophone and you can kind of just layer these sounds on top of each other and then take them away and subtract them as the action kind of dies down. Mm-hmm. And I think we lose that a little bit with kind of pre-recorded music in games these days. That yeah. Was... Really, only Nintendo still keeps that kind of idea in mind to, yeah. this, to this day, I would say. But it still doesn't work the same. It doesn't work the same at all, but like at least they keep that alive a little bit. But yeah. it was like back in, back in this era, in the MIDI era, like there was, there was a lot of like really interesting stuff with that, and LucasArts was at the forefront. On PC, and look at that! Like I love that! Like it's it's almost like it's almost like a Rorschach test now. It in is, some ways. Yeah. but like cause, I mean, it's not pretty in in terms of detail. But like I played this for hours and hours and 
hours what in my dorm. What year did this come out? This was 94, yeah. I want to say. And um, it was, and then like... Way before the, polygonal graphics were really a Yeah, thing. they were not common. And then the, I, the one I actually played the most was on my Mac when I was in college. And it was I think it was the, the collector's CD version. So I didn't actually get the iMuse music on that because that, that was a Redbook audio. Um, so playing the, the GOG has these for sale now and you can play, they, they have all the different versions. So they, when just buying one gets you all three versions uh, of, um, you, get the collect, you get the original, you get the collector, C, of X-Wing and TIE Fighter, you get the original, the collector CD version, and the Windows 95 version, which has the graphical upgrades of the, uh, of the CD version, but uses the iMuse music. Gotcha, so you get kind gotcha. of the, the, so that's like the best of both worlds. There's so many Star Wars sales and deals going on right now. Yes, I think that's it. Might, I might be mixing a couple of those up, but I think that's how it rolls. I mean, Either you might way, be able to find this ones. game like today, if you're watching this right now. If you go and look at our deals channel on Sifted, I know we curated, I think, two different stories of Star Wars deals for yeah, games. Yeah, this is on sale on Steam right now. You uh, can probably get it for a couple bucks, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's like two ninety nine. Yeah. I think. Maybe that. If that. I'm, I'm not, I think like if you get them all, well, I think GOG and Steam both have sales on them, and they're, there's like big bundles. They're in the blaster bundle on GOG, which is like 30 bucks for like 12 games. Right, or right. It's a whole series. It's crazy. Go spend um, three bucks and relive Matt's glory. Yeah, as long as you have some kind of control. You, you can play this with a 360 controller, like a normal controller. Like you can map the buttons out. It's a pain, but you yeah. can do it. I use a flight stick because that's how it should be. Oh, sure, yeah. But, um, I don't even have a flight stick. I haven't, ha- I haven't had a flight stick since I moved out of my parents' house, I don't think. It's probably still sitting in my closet in my old bedroom. I have a couple of... I actually have that old... That old um, the Microsoft, like, Force flight stick yeah, yeah. Where, like, where it fights you. Yeah, like, yeah. Have a force feedback. Like, I, I don't remember... I think I got that, like, from the office at some point. Yeah, in some, like, some I, office, I yeah. But, like, uh, that was really cool, but nothing supports it anymore. yeah. That's the problem with peripherals like that. Like eventually, yeah, developers just stop supporting it. So, so that that was my pick. I mean, I spent many many hours in which I should have been writing papers, playing this, and so a lot of a lot of rainy rainy days in the, on Saturday playing this with my dorm dorm mates. It was a uh, it was a good time. It was a good 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 game, and still my favorite. I think. Okay, so I cheated a little bit, a little bit. Uh oh. I actually picked two games, and the first game I picked is. It's not my favorite, or what I think, maybe it might be my favorite, but it's not what I would say is the best Star Wars game ever. Um, my first pick is what I would say, for me personally, is the most memorable Star Wars game. And for me, that is Star Wars... I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Shadows of the Empire. I wanted to make Matt say it. <laughs> Shadows of the Empire. A big week for Shadows of the Empire. Did, yeah, it just it, came it out, come out on, on GOG. GOG. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you if you want to experience some, let's say, old school game design. Yeah, yeah. And I realize some people are sitting there right now, probably thinking I'm crazy. But hear me out. So I'm one of them. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I was grew up huge Star Wars fan. Um, played every Star Wars video game that ever came out, and I always felt like I had to use my my imagination to see the game the way I, I hoped the game would look. It never looked the way that my imagination saw it. And Shadows of the Empire is the first Star Wars game like that, that basically manifests my imagination for the first time. I didn't have to imagine anymore. There it was. And not so much with the on-foot, third-person shooting stuff, but the, the Battle of Hoth. Mm-hmm. Like, I... And look... First of many. And look... The developers knew 
that that was the hook of the game right. because they made it the very first level of the game. So when you boot it up, you can just immediately play it. And I literally just played that level over and over and over again because it was like the first polygonal Star Wars game that actually looked convincing. It literally like blew my freaking mind. Now the rest of the game... <laughs> One, yeah. the game is hard as nails. Yeah, this is old school difficulty. This is Nintendo hard. Yeah, it is freaking hard. And there's like, it gets crazy after a while. There's like jet packs that mm. you end up piloting. And there's these weird like on rail sections where you're riding on like a mine cart and you're like shooting. Like, it and was not. Like, and this is like launched, I think it was a launch title for the N64, close to it. It was, it came it out like a window. month or two after, yeah. Uh, so this was pre, this is before they'd really figured out how 3D worked. Yeah, I mean, look, controls. there's parts of the game that look really garish. Like, literally, my first 3D game. Like, yeah. lots of repetitive textures, lots of the same everything, basically. It's just a cut and paste job for the most part. But just for that one level, that the Battle of Hoth, and taking down an AT-AT, or as I always called him, an AT-AT, Everyone calls them AT-ATs. I don't know why they say, insist on AT-AT now. Because that's but, what they call them in the movie. So. Well, yeah, but like they should call them AT-ATs. I agree, yeah. I mean, maybe AT-AT is too cute. Maybe they're trying to start with this new generation of kids to... I'm sure it was probably always called sort like of. internally an AT-AT. And then kids like us... No, everyone called it an AT-AT. This is, this is a new, like this Lucas is a new even thing. called it AT-AT? I've heard Lucas people call it an AT-AT. Really? Because okay. I mean, everyone called them that. Like, yeah. That's, that's what they were... Yeah. And I think, you know, the idea now is that, like, you, you know, the, the, the justification now is, uh, A, it sounds more, like, you know, official, AT-AT, is, you know, stormtroopers aren't going to say something as cute as AT-AT. Yeah. And also, like, none of the other walkers get, you know, they all, like, you say A-T-S-T, you don't say at-sit. Yeah. You know? Because at-sit isn't words. I just call it chicken is, walker. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people call it that. Or scout walker or whatever. So like, they're, they're really like trying to double down on the AT-AT thing. But there'll always be at-ats to me. Yeah. Those are at-ats on the beach in the Rogue One trailer, and that's what's going to get me in the theater. Yeah. So it just it literally just blew my mind, that one level. Yeah, yeah. And I did finish the whole game. I don't know how. Looking hindsight. Yeah, I did finish that game. I don't know if I could do that now. I don't know if I'm good enough to do it now. I even found all the little, uh, all the, the Max heads. Yeah, yeah. From Sam and Max. They have a little, you could collect like the symbols for your collectibles, but every level had one, every, some of the levels had hidden Max heads. Bunny heads that were supposed to be max. I think the other thing, too, I would say about the game is the story wasn't amazing, but I was never, like, a person who read, like, the books or mm. got into fan fiction or anything like that. So it was very interesting for me to kind of experience a story that skirted around the stuff that happened in the original trilogy. Mm. Um, I'd never really experienced anything like that before, and it kind of opened my mind to that idea. This was the first real, you know, push for something like that. Because, like, there had been, you know, the Zahn books and some... Terrible, terrible, terrible novels. Yeah. Uh, ex you know, exploring the post Return of the Jedi, but this was the one set between Empire and Jedi. Lucas had, you know, overseen it. He said it was like, oh, this is really what happened. It's not just right. like it's canon. You know, it's yeah. not like temporary canon like the rest of the EU. It's like, <laughs> a you know, and they did the game. They did the the book. They did the audio book, the radio drama with it. They, I mean, they, this is the they did a comic. They did like this is a huge multimedia experience they worked up and like it was all these different ways to experience it it was all kind of mediocre like overall one yeah. way or the other uh, but the game is probably the best expression of what they were trying to get at in terms of it feeling like Star Wars just because of that Hoth level and, and the, the big fight against this against uh What's the what is the big I think it's called the skyhook or something like that a starhook or something like I don't that. I remember the big you had to fly through the ends of this like space station and blow stuff you know Death Star style yeah. but like 
it was cool. You know, we hadn't really done that before. Yeah. I mean, even the Death Star runs in uh, X-Wing and TIE Fighter were kind of like, you know... They, they, <laughs> Rough approximations. I yeah. mean, they happened, and they're pretty realistic in terms of how it worked, but, like, they didn't have the drama that the movies yeah, yeah. have. You know, it was, it was like... Max, you know, top speed in X-Wing is not particularly fast, you know, in terms of what's rushing by the camera. So, yeah. like, doing the Death Star run in that is not anywhere near what it was in, like, say, Rogue Squadron. Yeah. So, I think Shadows of the Empire, certainly for console gamers, the first time you ever got a taste of, like, you know, movie-style drama from Star Wars in a game. Well, I think, too, you, you know, it kind of was one of the first, like, third-person shooter games for consoles, like, polygonal-wise, mm-hmm. like... I learned a lot playing that game about how I was going to play a lot of games yep. in the future. I didn't realize it at the time, but I mean, look, we're still seeing games that look just like this one. Yeah. So it was uh, it set a lot of precedents for me. It, like I said, the Hawk level completely blew my mind. Um, I totally realized that a lot of the game is not great, but uh, mm. for me, that is the most memorable one. Now I'm going to talk about. It was also the first time we ever saw the rest of a Dianoga. No, you're right. Yeah, you're right. The trash compactor. <laughs> that, that, I'm, I remember that level actually being kind of creepy. Yeah. Like when you're like underwater and you see these giant things with tentacles yeah. coming at you. And so it was, it was. Now I'd probably be like, yeah, laugh like, at it. But at the time, like, oh, this is pretty creepy. Like, all the, it, all the the um, like the haze in the water where you couldn't quite see what was coming at you. Like that was pretty cool. Yeah. So now I'm going to share my pick for what I believe is the best Star Wars game ever, and probably my favorite. And that game is Knights of the Old Republic, the first one. Um, I like the second one, but not as much mm. as the first. Um, I might like the second one more now that it's finished. Yeah. Like, I replayed it. Well, it's it. only taken ten years. Right. Well, I replayed, <laughs> replayed it last year, and like now that it's actually got everything, most of the stuff restored, I think it's probably a better story. I don't know if it's, yeah. a, better, I don't know if it's a better game. Yeah. You know what I mean? This, this game, though, I mean, it, it taught me a lot of things. First of all, that I can really appreciate a Star Wars side story, and it could be really good. Because like I was talking about with Shadows of the Empire, like, I learned that I could appreciate it. It wasn't necessarily great, but the story in this was amazing. And it made me want to learn more about mm-hmm. the characters. And I'm not even certain or not. Was this considered canon? Well, as much as any EU thing was canon. Yeah. But, but the season finale of Rebels this year, uh, they go to... Um, they go to the site of a battleground that's mentioned in the KOTOR games and who, where a super weapon was used to kill everyone, basically, and it was set off by the main character you play as in 2. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, it was Malachor. And so basically, the series finale of Rebels this year kind of hinted that KOTOR is going to be recanonized to some degree. Interesting. So I, would, I, think, I think they're going to basically bring KOTOR and all that, and SWOTOR and all that stuff back in. Because also it's like, why is SWOTOR still going? Yeah, otherwise? Right. they shut everything else down yeah, yeah. Like, mercilessly, but this one still has. So I think I think the old Republic stuff is so far. I mean, it's thirty five hundred to four thousand years before the movies. Right. It's never going to matter. It won't matter in yeah. terms of what they want to do with the films. So, and it's probably the best non movie storytelling in the Star Wars brand. So yeah. why not keep it? You know, yeah. Bioware knocked this stuff out of the park, and Obsidian did even more interesting stuff with it. And I know George Lucas didn't dig the whole gray area of the force that Obsidian right. delved into, even yeah. though that's like the most interesting take on the force. I it think, really in, is, yeah. In any Star Wars media yeah. at all. Um, I, it would not surprise me if we slowly saw them moving back to like, yeah, like KOTOR and those things, all that stuff, like, it's still a thing. Like, And they should, because it's great. Yeah, I think the other thing, too, is that when KOTOR came out, licensed video games, I mean, look, they're, they're not exactly in a good place now, 
But back then, it was even worse. Like, I don't even mm. know if I had ever really played an amazing licensed video game before that. Like, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, stuff like that, maybe. And, yeah, some mm. of the earlier Star Wars stuff, like... And also, and almost all licensed stuff at the time was just, we are going to repeat in the game the thing you already saw in right. the licensed material. Yep. There wasn't a lot of original takes. But this wasn't even just like a good licensed game. This was like game of the year caliber yeah. licensed game. We did give it game of the year that yeah, year. Yeah, we did actually, you're right. So, yeah, I mean, I, don't, I haven't met too many people who have said they don't like KOTOR. But for me... Just children. Yeah. <laughs> look, or it, the ignorant. The visuals are a little rough by modern standards. Let's not lie. Well, I mean, lie. it came out a long time ago. It's it still looks pretty I mean, good. It, it is a 13-year-old game. It looks all right. Yeah. If you consider a 13-year-old game when this came out, that would have been something that came out in 1990. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, I'm surprised that you didn't pick this game. I like TIE Fighter a little bit better. If you're talking favorite, I like TIE Fighter a little better. If you said yeah. best... Gotcha. I would probably pick this one. Gotcha. Yeah. I can see that. Because the best and my favorite are not the same thing. Yeah. The other thing I really, really, really impressed with on this game was how it manages to maintain its length. Because it's a big game. And particularly back in this era, a lot of games that were this big, like, after the first, like, 15 hours, like, they just, they either become crazy mm -hmm. repetitive, the story loses its punch. This game stay strong the whole way through. And uh, that's another thing that I really respect about it. So, I mean, tons of games that have come after it have really kind of imitated it and mm. borrowed elements from it. Including Bioware's own. Yeah. I mean, this basically codified the Bioware formula it for did. 3D. I mean, it takes from Baldur's Gate. I mean, it's not, yeah. you, know, it's, it's, you know, it didn't come out of nowhere. Um, but in terms of, like, you know, when you play Mass Effect and Dragon Age, like, that's pretty much come, you know, the, the roots are in KOTOR in terms of game structure. For sure. And you saw a little bit of it in Jade Empire and you know, oh, yeah, yeah. a lot of their products. So, yeah, that is what I would say my favorite Star Wars game of it's all a time. It's great game, especially if you go, I mean, you got to mod it pretty hard on PC. Like, you, know, you put in the 16 by 9 mod and there's like higher, higher, you know, the community has really done a job on both KOTORs. Yeah. And you can mod them up into like much more... Because Bioware uh, wasn't doing the job. No. <laughs> Although they did, you know, last year they did uh, they update, in. update some stuff, and yeah. you know, Kotor Two got the widescreen support and the, and the high res texture support. It was it was good. You know, those games have come into their own now that they've been kind of resurrected on Steam. And uh, if you if you have the uh, the patience for an older game, I highly recommend it if you haven't played it. Yep, for sure. I don't even think it feels old though. That's the thing. Not if, if you like the Bioware stuff, it's going to feel very familiar. Yeah, you know, it's not especially like Dragon Age Origins. Now it feels familiar. Back when it came out, it was like oh, right. what? But I mean, it's not all that. Dragon Age Origins with lightsabers is not too far off. Yeah. You know? Although I don't think it's as hard as Dragon Age Origins. Yeah, I'd agree with that. All right, it's time to move on to the next topic of the big six. Drama. 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 All kinds of drama. So this week. All this news is going around about Cyberpunk 2077. Mm. CD, slowly, CD Projekt's slowly starting to talk about this more. And they're saying big things. It's bigger, to borrow a phrase from Cliff Blazinski, bigger, badder, more badass. Mm. Bigger uh, than Witcher 3. Like, they're talking it up big time. I don't know if I have time in my life for bigger than Witcher yeah, 3. Yeah, I don't either. Frankly. And I don't know that I want... I think we've actually talked about, like, mm. do you want a game that's bigger than... I mean, I'll, if, if it's as high quality and packed with content as Witcher 3, sure. But it's like, don't expect me to, like, be done in less than, like, six months. Right, you know? yeah. Like, I, have, I have other things to do. Yeah, I have a life. But, man, that's value for your money. It so. is, for sure. And uh, so, anyway, they're starting to talk about their next game, talk it up, saying it's bigger and everything. And out of the blue... 
the Chinese room. And if, for those of you who don't know, the Chinese room are, for lack of a better phrase, like progenitors of the walking simulator. So their most recent game, everybody's gone to the rapture. Um, game did not do well. I was going to play it, but I was sick that day. It was yeah. supposed to be a PlayStation... Yeah, exactly. It was supposed to be a PlayStation 4 exclusive. Now it's coming out for the PC as well. Usually that's a sure sign that the game did not do as well uh, financially as the developer had hoped. It means we got to get on Steam and make some money. Particularly this quickly, because you know a lot of times you'll see an exclusive eventually come out yeah. for another platform, like a year or two later. And Sony did some work on this one in terms of promoting it and kind of making it a PlayStation, you know, PSN game. And yeah. like, you know, it was it was part of their their lineup. You know? Yep. And so Chinese Room, the developer of this game goes on Twitter this week and basically makes a snarky remark at CD Projekt Red saying, oh, well, it looks like Cyberpunk is just as sexist as mm. The Witcher. Because like I think the CD Projekt tweet said something like it's just as huge and epic or whatever as and then The Witcher 3, with, and they said, just and just as, as sexist. sexist. Yeah, which... Not, not sure I'm buying that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, granted, I played a hundred something hours of The Witcher Three, and no hours of everyone has gone to the Rapture. Yeah. But uh, I didn't get a lot of sexism from The Witcher. No, I didn't either. I don't get it. I don't. If anything, I kind of thought Witcher Three was pretty even-handed. Yeah, stuff. I mean, well, the other thing too is I mean, there's it... some nasty stuff in The Witcher, but I never yeah. got the impression that The Witcher was like punishing women. No. I feel like it's an equal opportunity punisher. Oh, it sucks to live in that world no matter what. I mean, it does suck more for women probably, but yeah. it, it's like, you know, everyone everyone is in a bad place in The Witcher 3. And, I, and again, the, I think Geralt in The Witcher 3 is very much a champion as much as he can be of women, and he, he hates, you know, he's not a fan of, uh, you know, domestic abuse or anything. That sets him off pretty hard in one of those quests. It does. And then the other thing, too, about uh, The Witcher is that it's a one. It's a fantasy land. Two. Mm -hmm. It seems to have been set in this like different period of time. It, it's like one of those games. that's like it's like Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. Like there's no like electricity, and it, so it feels like it's set like in the Stone Age. But yet there's like magic and mm -hmm. wizardry. And you know, if honestly, if you want to make a setting like that seem compelling and realistic to the time, and that sort of stuff, like it kind of doesn't it kind of have to have a little bit of that bent to it. I don't think so. To but make like, it feel authentic. I don't think so. But like, if you want to make that part of the world, like I don't think there's a problem with that. You know, it depends what you know. I mean, you probably don't want that if you're telling like a lighthearted D and D story for you know tweens. But like you know, if you're trying to make an adult, oh, it's an dark, M-rated game, dark fantasy world, and also they're they're basing it off of books. Which are way worse than yeah, anything yeah. that happens in the game. Like, there's some yeah. dark shit in those books. Um, although Geralt is a lot weepier in the books. Yeah, <laughs> he cries a lot in the book. That was odd because I read the books after I played the game, and I was like, "Really? Like, white-haired Batman is like all like sniffly about?" Yeah. I guess that, that amnesia really did a number. <laughs> um, but like, I you know, I, I think it's you know, it's got some really like nasty, tough stuff all through it, all through all three games, and of course the first game. Yeah, you collected trading cards of the women you screwed. Like that's yeah. gross. Yeah. You know, like but that isn't part of two or three. Like they really moved away from that and I think in my opinion, I think they they really turned some stuff around. I feel that. like the women are strong in The Witcher. Like you're right. The first game was a little out of tone. Yeah. 
But no. it was like, but I think they they, they saw it and they recognized it and they fixed they they changed it and they really like, I think they've made a real effort in two and three to write the the female characters as uh, just as important and and in many cases empowered and in many cases yeah. like you know aware of their station and aware of their situation. Like there's some just some real questions that The Witcher three asks about society in some places and I think it it doesn't really come up with answers because the part of, the point of the world is like yeah everything sucks like there's no right choice you know yeah. like that's that's a big thing about that game. But I would I would never I would say I, there, there's scenes in The Witcher three that are that deal with sexism, but I wouldn't call the game sexist. Yeah. And I don't mean to speak for everyone as a, you know, as the straight white male right. expert on sexism <laughs> or anything. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, oh boy, another another 30-something white guy gave his opinion <laughs> on sexism. But like, you know, I didn't play, I I do try to keep an eye out for that kind of thing and I didn't come away from that game thinking like, "Oh my god, there's so much sexist stuff." Cuz every time something like that was a bad thing in that regard happened, it was the you know, the game had another perspective on it somewhere else. It was yeah. not a it certainly wasn't endorsing that kind of behavior. I did, I've never got that vibe. The first one I would agree was like I said a little bit out of tune, but the last couple games like I've never got that vibe. Like I feel like the women in those games are empowered and powerful and have influence over the world and the story. The sorceresses and, do for sure. Yeah, like I just it seems to me like it's like we said earlier, it's an equal opportunity punisher cuz mm-hmm. you see men If I was going to in randomly that game just as in just as dire yeah. states and straits as I still, I still think it's probably better to be a man in that world. Yeah. Um, just because you're probably going to be able to fight off more than one drowner. Well, yeah, because you're strong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, I just, I don't really, I just don't really see it. And like, it, it's certainly, if there was a developer I was going to randomly come at and accuse of of sexism on social media, CD Projekt Red would not be at the t- in the top ten. Yeah, you think really. they would have gone after like Team Ninja? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I just can't. I mean, I'm not saying they shouldn't be allowed to say what they believe, yeah. but I but I don't understand a where they're really coming from on that, and b okay, it's like if you want to call it sexist that they're like you know using like a scantily clad female model to like sell cyberpunk, like okay, but here's if you the have thing to, about the cyberpunk. So cyberpunk only has one piece of but media, but she is, but also she is based on a, a, a she's a robot. Well, yeah, but she, well she's a, she's a cyborg. At least I don't know if she started as a human or whatever. I don't. Know. But she's also that care that that girl is from like the cover of the pen and paper role playing game from the eight because it's based on right. an old role playing game. She's a reference to like a character that was on the cover or in the illustrations. Like she's an actual reference to the original. She's one of the iconic characters from the IP, basically. If you want to call it that icon, yeah. But, like if you've played Cyberpunk, you know that image, right? With with the arm blades yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah, if you want to say, yeah, I mean, I guess if you want to say that like it's sexist to use a scantily clad woman to do that, that's it's fine. not even really but a like, woman though. But like, well, it's still Half it's still designed as a woman, and it's designed to it titillate men because be she's pretty hot, even though she has blades coming out of her forearms. Like, you know, there's an argument to be made, but they didn't couch it like that. They said just like The Witcher Three, which I'm just like, well, now I want to know what the hell you're talking about yeah, because yeah. that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Like you've taken it to this place where like I don't I don't buy it, and like. And and I don't know. It's like, why would you come at such a successful and pop? I mean, is it? it it's I don't like to call the call, cry for attention thing, but like it's. I feels think like the it. graphics says it all. They're jealous. 
you think? Yeah, they're another European developer. Their last game didn't do very well after they had filleted it in front of everybody for like a year and a mm. half before it released. There's a lot of That's pushback the one where on like people didn't realize there was a run button, but the run button wasn't really much of a run button. Right, it was like a, yeah, a stroll button or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if they patched it at this point More to actually walk include, like, include running. But I yeah, know. I mean, the game didn't do well with critics. It didn't do well commercially, financially. I just feel like there's a little bit of sour grapes. Like, they're a European developer. CD Projekt Red is from Europe. Like, I don't know. But you make a very good point. There are so many other developers that they could have gone after. Instead of CD Projekt Red, like, it just seems like vindictive and just mean-spirited and jealous, in all honesty. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't know if I've ever seen... One developer caught another developer like that. Like, I just don't see where they Ever. think... I don't know what positive outcome they think this will yeah, What were they hoping for? Were they hoping to collaborate with... I don't know. I, was like, <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. Like, with CD Projekt Red can be like, Oh my God, they're right. We're completely sexist. We better hire you guys as consultants. Like, what does that mean? I don't know I what mean, they're after uh, there. At the end of the day, I'm actually hoping that it was like their social media person just going rogue and it wasn't like someone from the studio, but a studio you, that you size... You think the studio that size is like it's in another... Yeah, no. It's like that was somebody in I'm there. I'm trying so. to give an out. Yeah, benefit Because I just doubt, can't sure. understand why a developer would ever do this. I don't know. I mean, especially with the development community. Like... It's very tight-knit. And you'd mm-hmm. figure, especially in Europe, like it would be that way. Like you guys would root for each other and say, yeah, European developers, let's mm-hmm. band together or whatever. Very, it's like the exo- exact opposite of that. At the very least, like if, you're, if you have that opinion, why wouldn't you target the actual image you're looking at as opposed to like trying to cast aspersions on the, you know, the game that won 240-something Game of the Year awards last year that like... I, th- I think you'd have to expl- unpack that statement to most people who played that game. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, don't see it. And I, I am not afraid to call sexism on the shit. Yeah, yeah. But I just don't see it in that game. I don't either. And I also admire the fact that CD Projekt Red didn't fire back. Because... Yeah, they, they did just sort of... I mean... I, I, I was reminded of a Neil Gaiman quote. Uh, from Sandman, where it's this, this one of one of uh, Morpheus's workers makes fun of him, and he doesn't react to it. And someone's like, "Aren't you pissed that he did that?" And he said, "You know, it's it's always been the prerogative of children and halfwits to point out the emperor has no clothes, but the emperor remains the emperor." Yeah, and like maybe well, C- C- CD Project might have like you know, well, talk all so, you want. Yeah, so like, yeah well, yeah. you can think that, but um, <laughs> we still made The Witcher. Scoreboard. <laughs> we made The Witcher, and you made the. Oh yeah. It's just like a... I mean, that's a, that's a false argument to be like, well, you didn't make a good game, so you can't criticize other games. That's stupid. But it's like, it still is kind of this whole, like, bet you wish you made The Witcher. Well, yeah, it's just like in sports when, like, the team that's losing is talking smack. And, and if you're the winning team, you just point to the scoreboard. You don't have to say anything else. You just point. See that up there? That's all that really matters. And, uh, I mean, I'm not even going to get into the fact that, you know, in my opinion... I, don't, I wouldn't even know if I would classify some of the stuff that the Chinese room makes as even games. I have to admit that when I first saw like that pop up on Twitter, I was like, who? I had to look them up. Yeah. Uh, and then I knew. And then I remember. I just... I can't keep all the esoteric... There's uh, so many I now, can't keep yeah. the esoteric indie, game, indie developers straight anymore. Yeah, with the indie development now, it's like there's so many studios, it's almost impossible to keep track of them all. Mm. And there's like five more that pop and up what like is, I don't day. know what the Chinese room is a reference to. Is that like some... Terrible or some. I don't even like, know. Like some, I'm sure some it's some pretentious bullcrap. That's I've what heard, I'm talking about. I don't about. remember like, what that is. It's like 
it's just, to me, it's comical to see this developer in particular go after CD Projekt Red because they are, it's just like a, like a giant just smashing with their thumb. Like, really? Why don't you make a game that has some real gameplay? Like, mm. I just, I don't see what, what they thought this was going to be. I mean, maybe like it's one of those like, well, I have to call this out because someone has to say something about this horribly sexist developer. Like, okay. If, if you're coming from that angle on it, but it's like, <laughs> Do you, I don't. It's only. I think it's only going to hurt them. Like you know, even you know, a lot of it people really like CD Projekt. A lot of people really like CD Projekt Red and really like what they've been doing and just you know, respect them. Yeah. yeah, especially in the industry. And you I know, mean, that's, the most, that's the biggest thing, right? It was just flat like, out disrespectful. Right, and also and now, even in like professional situations, I think now Chinese room is like, oh, you're the guys who called yeah, CD Projekt sexist. It's on unprofessional. Twitter. It's like if you really have an issue with them, don't go on Twitter. Like oh you're like they're like a keyboard warrior like they're do- they're becoming like the troll they're becoming like the worst parts of the internet now it's like you got a problem with them send them an email mm-hmm. I'm sure the subject heading if it says blah 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 from the Chinese room concerns about sexism they'll read your freaking email yeah. and reply or, to you like, or have like drinks with them yeah, at E3 or throw something back you know, a pint or something like there's plenty of plenty of venues at which that is a criticism that it's valid to bring up Chinese like, room lame. That's not how you operate, brothers. That's definitely not how you operate in a tight-knit community like the development community. Like, mm-hmm. even even if you think you're right, never fight if you don't if you know you can't win. Let's see if I can find a sound appropriate for what I think of the Chinese room. Yeah, there you go. That's what I think of the Chinese room. So let's move on to the next topic. Just why I had to bring that up. I've never seen anything like that before. I've never seen one developer go after another like that. Like. Other than, like, the old Nintendo versus Sega, Nintendo versus Sony thing. But that was in, like, TV commercials. <laughs> Social media didn't even exist then. So, yeah. Just think we bring that up. Let's move on to the next topic. We're going to talk about Battleborn, the big game that came out this week. We talked about uh, the multiplayer pretty at length earlier, mm-hmm. whenever the beta was going on. But I've had a chance to play the single player and the co-op a lot more over the last handful of days. Uh, Game of Val, hopefully by the end of the week. Um, so how's the single... Like, when I played the campaign stuff in the beta, it really felt like it expected me to have some friends with me. Yeah. Yeah. It is... Uh, I would say... The first thing I would say is that I have enjoyed playing the campaign way more than I enjoyed playing the multiplayer. Hmm. And I, Look, I'm not going to pretend to imagine what their focus was or what they're hoping consumers to like more or anything like that, but the campaign to me, just far more intelligible, far more, it's way better paced, it's way more interesting, um, it's not as confusing as the multiplayer is, it's not as muddled and kind of jambled as the multiplayer is. Uh, you can play with up to five people total, so you plus four, um, you can play with a combination of online or local. Uh, I think actually, I think you can have up to two local and then three online jump into the game. Um, so the the obviously the the options there are pretty vast. Um, but it's like you just said. Like I tried to play this initially by myself. It is impossible. Impossible. I got to the boss and I was playing a melee character. Well, the boss, like one of the first bosses, like spews out minions. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have, like, ranged abilities, it's impossible. It is literally, I would love to see, like, a video of somebody complete beating the first boss with a melee character. Like, that to me would blow my mind. And what I found is that the more people you add to the game, the easier the game becomes. So it, it doesn't scale well, I guess is the best mm-hmm. way to put it. 
Um, one thing that did surprise me about the campaign is that it does kind of, like the progression in it is very similar to playing a match of multiplayer. So as you play, you level up. As you level up, you get like that same perk tree that mm -hmm. you get before, that binary decision where you can choose between one or another, and you kind of build your character's tree. Now, when you first start, you don't have too many characters to choose from, but they unlock as you level up, and you level up really quickly. Like I went from like level zero to like level five, like in a, like 40 minutes or something like mm -hmm. that. So it's not like it's a grind where you really have to like keep killing stuff to kind of level up. Uh, I played the first part of it with two people, um, and we were okay until we got to the boss, and then we got annihilated. Hmm. Um, but look, the story the story was interesting. The characters, you know, when you just play the multiplayer, like I've talked before about how I don't feel like the characters and the, the art in this game is as good as what we've seen in Overwatch, and I still would agree with that. Hmm. But when you play the campaign, you do get, the characters do endear themselves to you a little bit more, and I did find myself having a little bit more of an attachment to them. Um, the production values in this game are really amazing. Like, I'm really impressed. Playing the campaign, like the cinemas, like, there's this opening, like, music video that literally lasts, like, eight minutes. I believe it's, like, Del the Funky Homo Sapien. He's, like, rapping about Battleport. <laughs> but it's just, it, it sounds really stupid talking about it, but actually when you experience it, it's pretty darn, like, impressive and good. Um, there's these really awesome, like, they appear to be hand-animated cinemas in the game. They help move the story forward. Like, it is just a really polished, complete game. But the problem is I just... I didn't have a lot of fun playing it. And, you know, to preface this, I'm not a big fan of Borderlands. But this is what I would say about this. Playing the campaign of this game feels like Borderlands. A lot like Borderlands. Where the multiplayer feels like League of Legends or Dota... The single-player campaign feels like Borderlands to me. And again, I wasn't a big fan of those games, so that does turn me off a little bit. I am a big fan of those games, but when I played the campaign stuff in the beta, I felt the same way, and it also didn't grab me for yeah. whatever reason. Why? I think one of the appeals of Borderlands to me is the ownership I feel over the character and kind of how I design their skill tree and stuff. And in this, like, you know, because it's a MOBA, you know, at heart, like... There's you know there's not as much decision making and there's not as much customization you can you know you can turn you know your character into one version of itself or another version of itself yeah. by like you get like a binary choice each level between enhancements to different skills yeah but like that's that's not that's more of a that's not really in depth enough for me to really get attached to that character and I'm sure I would if I played it long enough but like there wasn't anything there to hook me it, you know the 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 carrot Honestly, on the stick with the loot and the and the better guns and the better powers and all that stuff just it's Borderlands has a lot more I never thought I'd say this about Borderlands Borderlands has a lot more depth has a lot it. more flexibility yeah. for sure because I don't I don't really get the MOBA vibe too much other than that like predetermined skill tree where you have to mm -hmm. make one choice no, or another no the single player doesn't feel like MOBA at all it's just like when 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 that when the choices come up when you between your skill enhancements yeah. like that's when like you, the MOBA pedigree kind of pops up yeah. real quick. The the irony of that whole thing though is like League of Legends like it doesn't work that way. No, like, you buy League all of the Legends yeah. is exactly like Borderlands. Like yeah. you have that vast flexibility. You can build whatever you want. Well, Sometimes like you, you get saying, burned by it, but well, it's like you were saying when you talked about it before. It's like you know you wonder if this is going to be d deep enough for the MOBA people or like you know fast and you know irresponsive enough for the shooter people yeah. that's it seems to be like another symptom of the whole compromise thing they did between the two different ideas that in the end just sort of ends up weaker than both of them 
The other thing I would say about the campaign is that it's flipping hard. Like, even when you do have, like, multiple people playing, it's challenging. Like, even mm. on the normal difficulty setting, like, I couldn't even imagine playing something harder than that. But even on normal, like, you're going to die a ton, man. Like, mm. There's not a lot of penalty for that, to be fair. The other problem that I have with the... Yeah, you're right. The other problem that I have with it is... Like, your it, progress on the boss's life bar remains, as It I does, yeah. But the other thing, too, is that I... I, I like about it is that it's modular. So somebody can jump in and join you, and you can go back and play, like, previous levels. So it's not like this weird rigid thing where, like, oh, I'm on mission 10, and you're on mission 15. We can't really play together. Mm-hmm. You can go back and replay, and you get rewarded for going back and replaying the levels. So it's not like you're just, like, helping somebody get through the level that you've already played, and you get nothing for it. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, from what I can tell, like, at the end of each mission, everybody splits, like, the rewards, like, evenly. Like mm. both, like both teams end up with like the same, or both team members end up with like the same exact score after a mission is done. At least that's what I noticed playing with just one other person. Because mm. I asked them after a mission how many points they got, and they were like, it was literally the same exact number to one digit. So well, that's good because uh, I think too often games like this, that especially, I know mean, I felt like I felt that in the division too. Like games that like expect you to redo content over and over again. Like aren't very good about rewarding you for actually playing it. Yeah. Beyond like the spe- you know, and it's nice that especially in a game like this where you're going to be mixing and matching your teams as as needed, like that's a positive thing. It's it's good that you know I don't know why games can be so stingy uh, about like you know just giving you rewards on the par on par. It's like oh well you get rewarded real nice the first time you play this thing, but every other time you play it you're going to get nothing. And yeah. it's just like I don't like that design choice. So so, so kudos to uh, Battleborn for that. Yeah, and one thing I would say is, you know, there's a lot of discussion going on right now, Battleborn versus Overwatch. And, uh, you know, before I started playing, like, more of the single-player content or the co-op content, however you want to, de- want to define it, I would have said easily, like, Overwatch over mm-hmm. Battleborn. Not even a question, don't even think twice. But now, you know, it's a, it's a little closer. I would still probably recommend Overwatch for most people. But... This does offer a lot more as far as the game is concerned. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the fact that you have a single-player campaign. and not It's yeah. not just like a joke campaign, either. It's not something that they just tossed in where they're like, okay, let's just randomize some enemies and let a, you know four or five people go and kill them all. Like, there's a plot that goes through the whole thing, and there's bosses that you fight. Like, it feels like a fleshed-out, complete single-player campaign. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways, like, and you know, the other thing too is that you get the different play styles. You, in the multiplayer, you get the MOBA stuff. Playing cooperatively, you get more of a more traditional, like, RPG shooter experience. More like Borderlands. And so I do feel like the breadth of Battleborn is, is vastly superior to Overwatch. But the problem is that the core mechanics, how it feels while you're playing... There's no comparison. Overwatch mm-hmm. and the characters, caring about the characters and, and that sort of thing. Overwatch again trumps it. Um, but I do feel like there is an audience out there for Battleborn. And maybe it's a case of everyone gets Overwatch instead of Battleborn and it's something they come back to later. But I would say, like, if you're a Borderlands fan, this is honestly the closest thing that you're probably going to have to Borderlands mm. until Borderlands 3 comes out. It's not like games like this come out all yeah. the time. And, you know, if Borderlands is any precedent, Gearbox does support these games for a long time. So. I wonder, but, well, that's the thing. So, Gearbox supports successful games for right. a really long time. And my question with this game is, is does it come out of the box so poorly 
I mean, here's the other thing. No, there's not a single review of this game out there yet because it has been a, an oddly quiet release. I there's didn't been even no really reviews. Realize not one single review. You go to Metacritic right now; it is at zero still because they sent this out late, and most people didn't get it. And then they didn't really set up the server so you could really play it until launch day. So there's only been like two days now where you could really play it with the servers up and everything working the way it's supposed to. So. Mm. And look, that very well could have been a case where they're trying to dodge bad reviews. Like, I don't know, this game's tracked really poorly. Most people don't even realize that it's, like, on store shelves right now or downloadable or whatever you want to call it. I didn't until you sent the rundown today. Yeah, I mean, it has been a stealth launch, and that's because there aren't any reviews. Like, none. IGN, GameSpot, nobody has reviewed this game yet. They've done their, like, review-in-progress things, which are basically just previews. Mm -hmm. So... I don't know. I honestly feel like this game's probably going to get swallowed up by Overwatch. I, I feel that that would probably be a crime, because I think there are people out there that will probably like this game more than Overwatch. Do you think they should have held it? Like, waited a oh, couple yeah. months? Oh, yeah. I mean, look. When you start talking about finances and things like that, and uh, X quarter, Y quarter, oh, we need, we need something in Q1, we need something in Q2, because what happens is, if you don't have anything in a quarter... And then you, you have your financial report, and all your stockholders are like, dude, we did terrible. They all sell their stock, and then your company's value drops by, like, half. Like, look at Apple over the last, like, two months. Like, mm -hmm. it's getting hammered. So, you know, I can't say whether it was the right or the wrong decision, because ultimately, if they had nothing in this quarter to generate any revenue, their stockholders would lose it. Um, but as far as for the health of the game, the, the long-term prospects for the multiplayer, or even the co-op, for that matter... Yeah, it probably was really bad timing and probably should have been pushed or come out last year at the mm. holidays or something like that. Because at the holidays, there really wasn't any other game like this. Unless no. you want to count like Fallout, which I don't think that's even no, a fair. It's not even really a fair comparison. So, yeah. It's unfortunate that it's coming out right now when there just so happens to be a Blizzard game that, that's really freaking awesome. Um, I have no doubt that Overwatch, and I know that's in beta right now, I'm sure some of you guys are playing it, but I have no doubt that Overwatch is going to be a success. This mm -hmm. one, I really am concerned for. But I mean, you'd think they're kind of after different audiences because uh, Overwatch is not as much in the MOBA space, but I think you look at them and you really think yeah. they're kind of competing with face value, they look like the same game. I, I'd imagine the average consumer may not even know the difference between these games. No. If they visit a video game website once every couple months, or yeah. just whatever be, they get in their, their I'll be honest, at this, feed. at this point, the reason I can tell them apart is because if I recognize the character, I'm pretty sure it's Overwatch. Yeah. Because the Overwatch's characters, for whatever reason, when I see them, I remember them. And well, these, the characters in this game don't like spark my yeah, they imagination. Which is weird suck. because the Borderlands characters are all great. Like I, I, especially the player characters. All all the player characters in the Borderlands games are memorable to me. It doesn't. I can't imagine the same artist who worked on Borderlands worked on the characters for this game. I just can't. I just can't see how someone's the quality of someone's work could drop so drastically. I mean, I still. I've been playing it again now for several days. I still don't have a single character in the game that I really like. And hmm. that I like want to play with, other than by looking at their loadout and yeah. their abilities and saying. When this I, is what played I played it, I had that problem when I played the beta, and I was like, I, I looked through the you know initial starting selection screen and like, look, I've I've seen a lot of starting selection screens. I'm a fighting game player, and usually I find like one or two people in that selection screen. I was like, oh, that looks cool. That's, that's my cool. boy. Yeah, that's, that's that's who I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna play as her. Or I'm gonna play as him. Like whatever. I, I think that's what I want to learn first. And like, I didn't have that on this game, and I was like, I 
guess I'll pick the guy with the swords? There's, like, no, there's like, no clear style, but it doesn't look like all those characters are from the same universe. No, it doesn't. It's weird. It looks, and it's like this weird, it's a weird intangible complaint to make, but it's like, I th- it's real. Like, I, I came up with that same complaint independent of you. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I mean, I've still got a lot more to play. That's the other thing, too, is this game is, like, big. Like, I, I don't even know how far I am into, like, the, the campaign, but it doesn't it's another, seem... It's another Borderlands trademark. Yeah. They, they, you, can, you can never say that Borderlands doesn't give you enough to do. Yeah, and I, this game, that's what I'm saying. This game is really robust. And this, I mean, it may honestly end up being, like, the most polished, complete game to ever tank. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's spit-polished. Like, the game runs like Grease Lightning... It does everything, run very, very well. Everything looks amazing. Like, the auto-aim is, like, perfect. Like, yeah. it is a very polished is, game. I would definitely say this is the best animation Gearbox has ever done. Oh, yeah. And it'll definitely pay dividends for Borderlands 3. Um, but I cannot remember a game that had this level of polish that looked this good, that had unique ideas that were predominantly well-executed, um, also a game that took an angle that's really hot right now with MOBAs. And I wouldn't be surprised if this game does terribly. I just, I w- just wouldn't. Maybe. So, is it, it's a full price? It is, oh yeah. Yeah, and that, see, that might be something that hurts it too. Like, initially, a lot of people thought this was going to be free to play. Yeah, I mean, but it, I have has, to admit, it has the content to back up the price, Yeah, yeah, say. yeah, that's what I was about to say, is that, like, you know, once you play the game, you realize there's no way in hell this game was ever going to be free to play. I mean... You can tell that it was a team of a couple hundred people working on this game for three what, years. Like, what caused that? Was it rushed out to market? It's what it, caused that that kind of assumption we we seem to have these days, where like we see like a competitive shooter, and we assume it's free. What? Ha- where? Where did that happen? I don't know. That's a good question. Because we do that. Oh, yeah. I do that. I said, oh, it's a competitive shooter. Must be free to play. Like that's it's all. Well, I think a lot of it too is how they show it at first. So if they just show multiplayer, yeah. you know, because they. They kind of did bury the campaign in this game. I didn't realize there was a campaign until the beta started. And it's not even that there's a campaign. It's like a full-on, like, cinematic, like, lengthy campaign. Like, this is not just like we added dialogue to a multiplayer match. And and in hindsight, that may have been a huge mistake. Is If they had just made this game been like, okay, this is kind of our new take on Borderlands, I feel like it would be tracking way higher. And then, oh, by the way... We have this multiplayer mode that kind of mm. plays like a MOBA. But it, they've done it in reverse. They've, they've started out with, uh, we've created a MOBA shooter. Yeah. And all, also, there's this co-op campaign you can play. Like That's a really interesting point, because like, I probably would have even paid more attention to it if they couched it that way. But I, I wonder mean, like, how A ma- lot of people hear MOBA and immediately just turn it off. I do. A lot of people yeah. do. I mean, I don't, because I enjoy the genre, but there's a lot of people out there that hear MOBA... And they're like, I hate MOBAs. Yeah. Well, I hear MOBA and I'm just like, ah, I'll let Shane explain it to me. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people are like, it's too complicated. And the truth of the matter is, is that we've already talked about the multiplayer a ton about in this game. But just to reiterate, like, it is crazy complicated mm-hmm. and really hard to follow what's going on. And the game doesn't do a good enough job of messaging to people who've never played a MOBA, like, what the hell they're supposed to be doing. I wonder if some of that was like, they didn't want to, like, kind of, they didn't want their new IP to sort of intrude on Borderlands space maybe you know like they want to compete with their own game it could be um i also would not be surprised if four or five years from now there still is a small very dedicated player base playing this Mm -hmm. game Um, because there are going to be people who get this game and dig into it and learn how to 
play the MOBA mode and learn what their what the role is and what they need to do and taking out encampments and how that turns the tide of the bat. There will be people who will get into this, and I just don't think it's enough to make a game that costs this much to make profitable. Mm. Um, but again, like I wouldn't be surprised if in five years there's still like this core of players still enjoying Battleborn. So. Who would I recommend this game to? We always try to close out our discussions mm-hmm. on games, on uh, Game Face, trying to figure out who I would recommend it to. But, I mean, honestly, I would recommend it to people who are big fans of Borderlands. And I would mm-hmm. tell them that they should just play the campaign and then maybe dabble in the multiplayer once they finish the campaign and kind of have Bring them... friends. Yeah, they'll definitely bring friends for, the co- for co-op because otherwise it'll frustrate the living crap out of you. But I feel like if some people who really love Borderlands give this game a chance, they'll like the campaign. They probably aren't going to like it as much as Borderlands, but they're going to like the campaign. And then once you finish that and you kind of understand how everything works, uh, you played with multiple characters. Because the campaign, you can mm-hmm. choose a character every time. You don't have to like just pick a guy and then play the whole campaign. Like You can choose a character. It's like a fighting game. Mm-hmm. You, every time you start a session, you can choose a new guy. And so once they've gone through that and they've kind of learned the ins and outs of a lot of the characters and understand what their abilities are... And, you know, the campaign does tend to do a pretty good job of teaching you kind of the basics of the multiplayer. I feel like for people like that, the game will be a success. Um, If you're a traditional shooter player, no. If you hate MOBAs, no. Um, It is nice to see uh, a game with robust multiplayer using the campaign to kind of teach you how to play that multiplayer. Because that seems to be kind of a lost art. It does, for sure. So... That's a pretty thin market segment. I just kind of outlined a yeah, video like it's, this. Yeah, it's not everyone. It's not. Mm-hmm. But look, there are hardcore like fans of mm-hmm. Gearbox's other games out there who I, will resonate want, with certain parts I of I want to meet a hardcore alien, Aliens Colonial Marines <laughs> fan. Like, where, where are they? Really? I'm joking. He right. hates... He, he was oh, like the lead like, antagonist I was like, did Jim Sterling make a turnaround on Colonial Marines? Like, no, he's, he's the one who whipped everyone into a frenzy to go after Gearbox right. over it. So, so that's I, it. I wasn't that incensed, but like, I, I'd love to, I, I know nothing's so terrible that someone on the internet won't love it. Yeah, yeah. But like, I, I wonder who the hardcore Colonial Marines fans are. That's the thing, that's the <laughs> thing about disappointment, is that it's always contingent upon anticipation. <laughs> If you have no anticipation, you won't get disappointed. If you get really jacked up for something and it's not what you hoped, that's when you get disappointed. The bar's on the floor. You don't have to jump. That's true. That's a good point. So, I feel a little bad, honestly, because I can see, mm-hmm. like, the tender, loving care that went into this game, and I can see the amount of work that went into the game. Yeah, they stepped the game up, uh, I think. You know, Gearbox, I know Randy kind of, you know, poo-pooed all the stuff about Colonial Marines, and, you know, he... He's a big fan of the, um, you just don't get what we're trying to do. He's divisive, yeah, thing. for sure. Um, but, like, it really, to me, it, like, looking at, at Battleborn, it feels like the, uh, uh, at least the team may have taken kind of some of that criticism to heart and really stepped it up beyond what anyone could have expected. Because there's, I mean... It's a quality game. Super quality. Like, yeah. there's, there's some, I mean, you, it's fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would probably watch, I'm not a... Big tournament tournament watcher outside of fighting games, but I would watch like a tournament of that game just to kind of try to get my head around. At least how it the works first round or two, <laughs> and see, yeah, just to see how people use the characters when they that know what good. they're doing. Yeah. And the kind of, you know, like it, 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 I would, I would consider using that game as kind of a spectator sport. At least I'd give it a shot, and yeah. that's more than I can say for a lot of games. So I wish the game luck. I mean, honestly, you can see all the love that went into it, all the hard work that went into it. I just feel like it's for a very limited audience, but maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Maybe I don't know. Do I mean, I, I, I hope it does well because it, it seems to me there's a lot of people that worked on that game that deserve their bonuses. I also like the fact that they did try something different, yeah. which 
know yeah. we're going to talk about a game here towards the end of the show where right. that's going to be a big part of the discussion. I mean, so. even though I, it's not for me, like it's clearly not, I don't think it's for me after playing it and also just in terms of what I generally like to play. Um, like, I, uh, it's, it's, I respect that they really went for broke on yeah. making something. That they there, did. There, is, sure. there isn't like, anything literally really they yeah. may have went for broke. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, it's time to move on to the next topic. All right, so more chicanery. First a Chinese room. More now. shenanigans and goings on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. First a Chinese room, now it's Oculus. So we've talked about on the show before that there are people out there still waiting for their Oculus Rift pre-orders to show up. People who put down money on day one, believed in the project. I'm not sure if any of those people are the Kickstarter backers. If that's the case, it would be really bad. I don't know if all the Kickstarter backers have gotten theirs yet. Yeah. So basically what's happened is a lot of people who should have their Oculus Rifts by now. Mm -hmm. Is that the plural of Oculus Rift? Rifts? Rifts, I think. Yeah, Rifts. Or, I mean, it could be Riften. Right. I don't think that's right. That's not... <laughs> I like that better. So basically everybody who was all in on the Rift are getting burned. They've been waiting all this time for their units to show up. They keep getting like this rigmarole and run around from Oculus saying, oh, we have this component that's not, we can't get enough of, mm -hmm. and just a bunch of excuses. Well, really. did, you, did you hear how many units the stores are getting? No. Well, we haven't finished telling the story yet. So the rub here is that Best Buy is going to get Oculus Rift in store, mm -hmm. in stock. 48 Best Buys. Stores. This weekend. 48 different Best Buys. On the 7th, we'll have Oculus Rift. So I actually feel bad telling mm. our viewers this because if you go and get one and there's somebody who already put his money down like six months ago and hasn't got one yet, I'll feel bad. However, according to Reddit, some of the some Redditors did some research, apparently the stores are getting four each. Oh, gosh. Oh. Four. What? Four units each. So like 200 and units. About that. So like that's not a lot. Um, that's nothing. That's nothing. I mean, <laughs> there is some speculation that it might have been a retail deal they had in place and they weren't expecting to be this sold out and they uh, still have to fulfill the, the, the details of the contract, uh, at which point probably Best Buy should also be angry. Yeah. <laughs> and like if you look at like the, the web, Best Buy's website, it looks like online they're only selling them as parts of, uh, of bundle packages with PCs. Oh, God. Starting at like $1,500. Well, if you only have four... Um, and <laughs> Oculus, I, I don't remember if they did this after they announced that or, or if it's like just part of the deal, but I, apparently if you are a pre-order person and you get somehow miraculously get one from Best Buy this weekend, uh, you can register it with Oculus and it will count as your pre-order fulfillment and you will still get your pre-order bonuses oh, that way. Interesting. So they'll refund your money. Well, I guess if you pre-order it, you don't have to put... How much you have to put down to pre-order? I have no idea. I'm guessing at least hundred bucks. Something. So, but but they'll basically cancel your pre-order and count that as your pre-order fulfilled, and they'll send you your the, like the bonus, like the the what the Eve Valkyrie Founders Pack right. and the and the um, there's like another status thing you get you know things bonuses for early adopters basically. Right. And so if you if you manage if you're a pre-order customer and you manage to get one at Best Buy. Uh, you won't lose anything, basically. Gotcha. But it sounds, judging by how many they're getting at the Best Buys, you will have to be a miracle worker to pull that one off. Oh, you got to fight for it. Like, yeah. literally, like, throw punches and, like, kick somebody in the Yeah, if you go to Best Buy and there's, more than, <laughs> there's four people in line, go home. Like, it's over. Apparently, yeah, that's game it. Game over. <laughs> that's assuming the employees don't buy them first. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, they may not even hit the floor. Yeah, you might just want to just pull eBay up right now. Although, well, from what I can gather, man, VR is off to a real slow start. Man. It's rocky. It's... I look. I've been you know working. I've been working with some uh, various people over the last weeks and months about, and they're not super tech people. They're not crazy tech people, but they know VR. And most of them are pretty convinced that this is like nothing. It's a it's a fad. It's not ready yet. It's not here yet. It's not a thing that, you know, they're not saying it's going to come and go away and VR will never be a thing ever. They're saying like this is the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, and VR. it's going to be a while before you know. Atari Twenty Six Hundred was pretty successful. <laughs> it was, but it wasn't successful on the level of like, you know, a mainstream hit, a change to how we play, how we play. Period. Right. You know. It took basically it took the PlayStation era to do that. Yeah, it did. And uh, so you're looking at the graphics says bite the hand that feeds, and that's the thing. So if VR is off to such a slow start, which means you need to be much nicer to your early adopters. Yes, because they're the only ones who can buy software. Yeah, it's like all everyone else is just like it's a wish to be able to get an Oculus right now. But the people who actually paid for it already are the people who are going to. Mm-hmm. Compel other developers to make games because have you noticed that we have not had a single press release of how many units Oculus or Vive have sold? Yeah, not since that first like no, you know, they're like ten oh, minutes they, thing. Oh, they sold out in ten minutes. Well, you could have had ten of them available. Like yeah. and at this point, it looks like there were ten. Well, like, they sold, oh, they sold ten thousand in ten minutes, ten thousand pre-orders in ten minutes or something. Which yeah. is like all right, do that like a hundred more times, and you've almost got a base of customers that's worth making a game for. And that's still not even enough. No. And that's, that's the fear, is that if the adoption doesn't pick up, suddenly the developers start peeling off. Yes. And then Oculus has... It's called to, the Nintendo Syndrome. It is, yeah. And then Oculus has the problem of having to spend money to incentivize the developers, like mm-hmm. they did with Insomniac, to start making games for the platform. Now, to be fair, Oculus has money. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, it has more Facebook, money than Facebook anyone. is not going to run out of money. Yeah, like, ever. Although, every once in a while, you want... Like, did you see the thing about where Facebook set up their own journalists? It was a, a, oh, like, yeah, yeah, I saw that. They set them up in New York City, basically in sweatshop conditions. And so it turns out that when you see like those little news stories in the side column of your Facebook feed, those are chosen by humans. Yeah. It's not an algorithm. Like it's yeah. pe- There's people picking news stories in a warehouse in Brooklyn somewhere. And they're all sponsored yeah. news stories. And, yeah. it's, and it's like, so, okay. It's like you could at least give those guys like free coffee or something. You know? um, so, but it sounds like... You know, Facebook is all in on this VR thing because they want that to be what Facebook. I mean, Facebook's already got that VR interface you can right. mess with. Yeah. So I would guess that Oculus uh, is gonna stick around hell or high water at this point because they want that to be a thing, and they I can don't know. afford even, to make even it. Even the a richest thing. companies at a certain point have to cut their losses. <laughs> well, I mean, if it, it won't be Oculus that does it. It'll be a situation where It'll Facebook Facebook just stops being profitable enough to, you know, sustain something like that. But, like, we might lose Vive I honestly would not recommend anybody buy Vive right now. I just wouldn't. It's too much and you don't get... I mean, especially if you're locked out of Oculus exclusives. Which it's I the most likely to fail. Yeah. And it's, a, it's the biggest investment and it's the most likely to fail. Those it's, two, you look at a chart... It's the 3DO. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I mean, you look at, you cross-reference those two points, that's the get-out point. Like, and again, I think, uh, you know, come October with the PlayStation VR, I think the fact that Sony has been a, you know, a hardware and electronics manufacturer for its entire existence yeah. is going to give it an advantage because it knows what it has to do, the demand it has to meet, and who it, it has the context and the resources to actually produce enough to meet demand. Well, Sony has already said that it doesn't foresee... 
hardware constraints that it mm -hmm. feels like it's going to be able to produce enough based upon how many pre-orders it has. Apparently, pre-orders in the U.S. have not been amazing for PlayStation VR. Uh, they basically said that they're a little bit below where they had thought, so they think by the time launch comes around, they should mm -hmm. be okay. They should have enough units for everybody. I think. See, I think uh, PlayStation VR is going to be a slow burn in the in term. I mean, from launch to Christmas, I think it's going to be one of those things that early adopters get. And then other people try, and then they decide, yeah, that's what I want for Christmas. Yeah. And if Sony's smart and lucky, they'll have enough product on the shelf to meet demand for lucky. the people that decide. <laughs> that you know, yeah, that, that for the people who decide, like, oh yeah, I do want this for you know, make it, you know, make, they make it the Wii basically. Yeah. And then you have to just make sure it doesn't turn out like the Wii in the end, you know. I have to admit that VR is not taking off as I had thought it would. This is pretty much exactly what I expected. You are, no, I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, you were right on this. Like, you were way more reticent to kind of go all in on it. I, I didn't think it was going to become, like, a sensation overnight. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be a lot bigger than it is. Like, right. I don't well, see, you don't see anything on it on, like, general news. Mm -hmm. Like, you, it's not like you watch CNN and you see a report on, Again, like, VR. I, like, I think the PlayStation will push it into that spotlight. It could. Um, because it's cheaper, because it's a more mainstream company, because it's something you will be able to get your freaking hands on. I mean, it's like, yeah. look, if a news company, a news outlet wants to do a story on the Oculus Rift, too bad, you can't get one. Well, I'm sure like, they'd you know, send one to CNN or whatever. Something but... like that, but it's like, since it's not there yet. You know, maybe yeah. around the time of E3, they'll start talking about it. But again, it's also like something that people don't care about or not people not people even know it they don't know thing. to care about it yeah. like some of those studies that came out this week on vr people are like what the hell is vr right. like so except not... for the one that esa put out yeah the one that esa put out was like everybody loves vr it's like did you do that at like a GameStop? Or like, <laughs> and then what? super data put out theirs yeah. and they're like oh no like people don't even know like vr exists so well i mean i think that's partly why you're seeing this oculus push to the big box stores where like they're gonna have you know they're gonna have kiosks where you can have the vr experience and oh my god Bring wet wipes and stare. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, well, I'm not putting that thing on my face. I saw somebody at PAX, one of the journalists, I think for Destructoid, got pink eye at mm -hmm. PAX. You know how you get pink eye people? It's not good. It's really gross yeah. to think. I mean, that... it means someone's like eye boogers were in that thing and then they got in his eye. No, and... no, that's not how you get pink eye. Hmm? No, I'm not going to go into it. It's too disgusting. Basically, it's people who aren't washing their hands after they go to the bathroom, is oh, what it right. comes down okay. to. I thought you meant transmission. I didn't. I didn't. No, it, well, it transmitted through the VR right. headset. But yeah, it's that's how you get pink eyes when mm. people don't wash their hands after using the bathroom. Always wash your hands after you use the bathroom. Wash your damn hands. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we said our piece on this one. Let's move on to the next topic. This is kind of a fun one, Matt. So you and I have both been reviewing games for ten, at least ten years. Most of our adult lives. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so de at least a decade. I've been reviewing games, getting paid to review games for like 17 or 18 years now. This will be 16 years. It just blows my mind year. to think about. My, my review career could drive at this point. Yeah. <laughs> and we've re both reviewed hundreds of games. I don't even know how many games I've reviewed at this point. I used to keep, I remember when I used to keep track of how many games I'd reviewed and uh, how many minutes of television I'd produced. Oh, wow. And I, I ran... I, the some, minutes of television part's really hard. Oh, the tele... I, I, I would just, like, add up all the segments I did, like, and keep a running tally, and at a certain point, we got so busy trying to do X-Play on yeah. it. Because X-Play got crazy. We were doing three days a week. Three days a week, a yeah. And, and, like, I just ran out of... I just stopped updating that, that spreadsheet, and yeah. by the time I got back to it, like, I was, like two years later, I'm like, I have no idea. So I... I <laughs> But it's in the, it's in the hundreds of hours yeah. at this point. So like yeah, I can't even couldn't even tell you 
I I've can, lost more reviews than I have still on my old hard drive. Yeah, I've lost so many reviews where hard drives have crashed and just gone okay. forever. And then the website like went down and like it's just not there anymore. Yeah, so much of my work was lost when the G4 website just sort of slowly collapsed like a fly in the cupboard. Oh, like, G4. Um, there's t- there's several websites that I've written stuff for. And trailers. Just, yeah, GT. Yeah, for instance, we'll talk about it in a second. Like a review that I'm going to talk about here in a minute like I couldn't even find. So... But then there was other times where I freelanced when I was in between positions and things like that, and some of those sites mm-hmm. are gone now. So um, what we're going to talk about are reviews that we regret. And I'm sure instantly everyone's like, oh, Shane's going to talk about Resident Evil 6. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> it's not one of them. It's not Resident Evil what 6. Was, Resident Evil, was that a controversy? I don't remember that. Yeah, there was controversy over it. Because I said I enjoyed it as an action game, but it wasn't a good Resident Evil game. And other people just said, well, if it's not a good Resident Evil game, then it just sucks, period. And so that was sort of my perspective. I still enjoyed it as just an action game, not as a Resident Evil game. I didn't enjoy it as either. Yeah. So. Some people are like that. So, <laughs> But that's not one of the reviews that I regret. So, Matt, let's we'll start with you. You will never regret a game in which you punch a boulder in, a shower, in its shards. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah, that's right. <laughs> So, Matt, what is a game review that you regret? Um, A game review I regret, I don't know if I regret it in the sense of the whole shebang, but I gave Assassin's Creed 1 a 5 out of 5. And um, (laughs) I still love that game. I've played that game four times through, uh, and I still like it. Even though it's rough, even though it's, it's, you know, you have to sit through the damn cutscenes, and the cutscenes have no camera angles, you're just watching two character models stand there and, like, (laughs) flap their lips at each other and stuff like that. But I, I enjoyed the story, and I loved the world and all that stuff, but I, it was, there was nothing else like it at the time. And then, like, a couple years later, two years later, Assassin's Creed 2 comes out, and I was like, wow, this is way more than what I think they were aiming for with that first game in terms of how it plays, how the world works, all that stuff. And I was like, but because I gave it that five... Um, which is not to say the five what out of five... What do you do with What do I do to, to indicate that this one's better, <laughs> right? Um, so in retrospect, I wish I'd given that a four... Uh, a lower score. I'd been, a, but I was taken with that game just in terms of the historical aspect and like, you know, the combat. I really enjoyed, especially once I found kind of the nuances of it. And there was just little things, touches all through it. I love, but I just, I, I was a little too wrapped up in that one. Couple things. One, you're not alone. There's a lot. I guarantee you, there are a lot of journalists out there who feel the same exact way, who were like, oh man, I, because com- it was completely new and something unique, mm-hmm. and a lot of people got swept up in it. I don't even remember what I gave the first Assassin's Creed. I think it may have been like a high eight. So I, I know I gave it a high score. Like, mm. I really enjoyed it. Because, again, it was something different. So, one, you're not alone. This yeah. isn't one of those anomaly things where you're like, you're the only guy who liked it that and much. And to be fair, the five out of five on Iceplay was not intended to mean a perfect game. Or yeah, I mean, like you work just on a, a five-point scale. Yeah, you work on a five-point scale. That's... Mm. It's very easy working on a five-point scale, I yeah. feel like. Like, as soon as I play a game for, like, five or ten hours, I, like, know immediately, like, it's so yeah. night and day. Well, in the last year of X-Play, we went to a point, we went to, added point fives, which put us right. to a ten-point scale. Yeah. And then the five became a much more important Harder decision. Take, for sure, know? yeah. And so the other thing I was going to say is the point that you just made about, okay, well, I gave this, I gave the first one such a high score that I then could not really reward the second one adequately... Mm-hmm ties into our game evals and how people say, oh, you shouldn't give mm-hmm. zeros for categories where games don't have something, like connectivity. Well, then it's the same question. It's like, well, then how do you reward the game it does mm-hmm. if, you, if you're working on a different scale for each game? So, yeah, I don't think you're alone on the Assassin's Creed 1 love, and I also don't think that you're alone in looking back on it and regretting the score. 
Um, because you go back and play this game now, it does feel pretty rough around the edges and really kind of like a proof of concept instead of like a polished and complete game. Yep. Someone even in the chat just, uh, F.S. Balston literally just called it a proof of concept. Yeah. Oh, wow. Great minds think alike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I still enjoyed it. Yeah. And, and one thing I would say is there's parts of the first one that I feel like the series got away from. Yeah, I think the first that one... That I, I hate that they got away from. The first one is the one that makes me feel the most like a freaking assassin. Yeah. Like, you, you go out, you have the target, you do the work. You don't have to do all the work if you don't have to. Like, you, you can do all the little side things, which are all kind of, you know, boring <laughs> when you get down. Yeah. I mean, you can sit and eavesdrop. I mean, you know, and I know I... I, I, I talked to a lot of people that worked on that game in the, in the intervening years and stuff and uh, it, it when, when you give their game that kind of a score they warm up to you right, oh, <laughs> right yeah. away it turns out <laughs> but apparently it was especially one, when it's Adam Sessler saying a five yeah. out, out of five, five. <laughs> but apparently at one point uh, I, don't, people, I don't know if people remember the eavesdropping missions and because uh, you know, it's always you know everyone hates the eavesdropping missions in Assassin's Creed and anyway yeah. when you follow guys around and stay in the circle but back then it was like you had to like sit on a bench and listen to two guys talk for yeah. like a minute right uh-huh. Those conversations you listened to were like originally like ten minutes long. Oh my god! Like you were, you had to listen to a whole conversation <laughs> between two people just walking down this like and and eventually it was cut down to like you know the shorter thing. That's but, when game development becomes indulgent. But you know what I like about those conversations, even though like having because again I played that game I think four times and two of the times were to pick up achievements that got bugged the first time. Right. So I wasn't in the best frame of mind by the third. Yeah. Time. Like like I just need that last fucking Templar who <laughs> fell through the ground yeah. when I ran up to kill him and yeah. I couldn't grab him in time and now I have to play the whole game again. But, and somewhere Patrice is laughing because he hates achievements and didn't even want to put them in. Right, right. So, and that's why he put all those terrible flags in the game, which yeah. I used two spreadsheets, a map, and a, and a cross-out <laughs> list. To the, I mean, I, it, I looked like a conspiracy theorist with a red string everywhere trying to get all the flags in Assassin's Creed 1. But, um, like... I like that if you sit there and really listen to those conversations, they do talk about elements of the area you're going to do the assassination in that will help you, like, find shortcuts and find oh, yeah. different things that, that are not highlight. You know, a modern Assassin's Creed game would, like, pop up a little submission right. bullet point, like, like climb thing in back of barn yeah. and go up on roof to drop down to kill target, you know? <laughs> yeah. But in this, is like, you just, just heard, basically it, heard a guy that's like, oh, thing. we had to bring in scaffolding to fix this thing for the party and I didn't have time to take it down, so we'll just cover it with, with tarps and do that. And then, like, you go there and the scaffolding's there and you can climb up and get in the window much better than, like, having to fight your way through four guards. Yeah. But I, I really like that, like, it made you pay attention to stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but then, like, if you're trying to make, like, a really interesting, exciting game for the masses, like, you probably don't want them to have to sit down and listen to people talk in the street about party plans, so... It's, it's a double-edged it, sword. Too, is it was like a, a classy game. Like, yeah. it came out at a time where the industry still hadn't kind of evolved to where it is now. Like, it was still just a lot of, like, do-bro games, for lack of a better way to describe it. Like, mm-hmm. this game had, like... A different layer to it. It also had the duality of the different realities. It was just very mm-hmm. unique and different. And a lot of times it's easy to kind of get swept up in yeah. that. So. And I love the, the duality thing. And I still like... I mean, I think they've lost their... They kind of lost the thread of the, the, you know, the modern day stuff in the current yeah. series. But back then, I loved the way you could excuse all the weird glitchiness of any video game by saying, like, oh, well, it's in the Animus. So, right. like, oh, oh, that guy, like... Oh, the Animus screwed up. Yeah. yeah. 
and it's 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 I I really I thought that was really clever when I originally played this, and it kind of took me by surprise when everybody hated it so much. In some ways, I would even say that I probably still like the first one better than some of the more recent ones. I would agree with that. It's I don't... pure and more and more true to the original yeah. concept. It's kind of become like a bastardized version yeah. of the original idea. And it's got uh, in one part of Acra, there's these window boxes that look like the front of Optimus Prime's truck mode. Yeah, which I I pretty I'm like that's Optimus Prime and yeah. like. Uh, I think wasn't there a story later about like like they, didn't, they that was not authorized or something like yeah, that. I think, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it was whatever. A, whatever. I'm, I'm, in, I'm into it. No one noticed. I noticed, but that's because I'm always thinking about Optimus Prime somewhere in my brain. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, Matt Kyle. All right, time for my first regret. My first review regret. And uh, this so, is interesting. I don't know. I don't know what this story is. So my first pick is the Turok reboot. From 2008, I believe it is. So, just to preface a little bit, I was a huge Turok fan. I loved Turok on the N64. I mostly enjoyed Turok 2 on the N64. There's a huge hiatus for this game. They made Turok 3, and then they made, I think it was like a multiplayer-only version of Turok, if I remember correctly. Rage Wars. Rage Wars, yeah. And the series had disappeared for a long time, but I had always been a big fan of it. And so... This game came out, and so when I was first starting to pick my games for this topic, this game sprung to my mind immediately. And so I wanted to go back and obviously read or watch my review. So I go to Game Trailers, because I was working there whenever I reviewed it, and uh, I couldn't find it. Like, no matter how I searched, couldn't find it. Went on Google, tried to search GameTrailers.com, Turok Review, couldn't find it that way either. But, (laughs) surprise, surprise... Someone had stolen the video from GT and uploaded <laughs> it to YouTube, where it had done tens of thousands of views. And so I got to watch the review. And you know what? I watched the review, and I convinced myself again that it was good. <laughs> <laughs> I literally, like halfway through the review, I'm like, I wasn't wrong. This game's fucking good. <laughs> But I was a complete outlier on this game. This is one of these times, like, I didn't even... You know, a lot of times, like, you review a game, and you get it done, and you publish it, and you haven't seen anyone else's reviews yet, but you kind of know that maybe you ended up liking something a little bit more than others, Mm -hmm. and you're, like, maybe a little nervous that you may be this crazy outlier and have to deal with... Not that you're nervous because of your opinion... You, you don't want to deal with the backlash. And when I worked at GT, when you have, you know, 15 million people coming to your website every month, like, if you were an outlier, like, you heard it. And you heard it forever. Like, I still hear people rumble and groan about stuff that I've said in the past. Like, stuff I've said, like, 10 years ago. So, <laughs> so you know, when you put your, your opinion out there, that sometimes you're going to end up dealing with the wrath for that opinion for a long time. This game, when I was getting ready to publish the review, like, I didn't think... I didn't think that at all. Like, I was like, this game is legitimately good. Like, I enjoyed the crap out of this game. I think most people will as well. And then everyone else's reviews came out. And I was like, whoa, holy cow. Like, I was shocked. (laughs) But then I started reading their reviews, and I was like, you know what? They are making some pretty good points. Like, some of the stuff that I didn't think was a big deal, they found it to be a really big deal. And, uh... So in hindsight, I feel like I was probably a bit off. Now, look, I didn't give it a crazy high score. I gave it an 8.3. 
which is a, a good score. By GT standards, that's, yeah. that's a good score. It's a pretty crazy high score for this game. Yeah. I mean, I think the Metacritic for it is like around a 5 or a 6 or something yeah, like that. It got that. hammered pretty hard. So it's definitely one of those games where my review was like way is, away from the Metacritic is average. Is the frame rate on the B-roll like because of the game or because of like the recording on YouTube or something? Um, this looks really choppy. It's not that choppy in, in reality. Mm-hmm. It could have just been, it was been rendered a couple times. Yeah. It could have just been the rendering or something so because sometimes i look back on like even stuff from last generation i'm just like how did i play this like, yeah i know i mean i'm not a frame rate like stickler by any means but sometimes it's like wow no this game ran okay it ran i, I seem to remember it being pretty smooth yeah um but yeah so i've again though i was watching my review again i could totally see where i convinced myself that the game <laughs> was really that good um did you play it again I haven't played it again, no. I just don't have time to go back mm. and play a seven-year-old game or whatever it is at this point. It's like an yeah. eight-year-old game. Eight-year-old game. That's hard to believe. The game, I think, still looks pretty good. Like, graphically, like, the engine and everything. For an Unreal game, it doesn't have that shiny, like, sheen that every Unreal game had. Story was kind of whatever. The weapons in it were definitely disappointing for a Turok game. I think that's one thing I would still say to this day. Like, you know, I always looked at Turok as a game where the weapons, like, mm-hmm. are kind of center stage. You don't have a cerebral bore. I don't know what I'm going to do. There is no cerebral bore mm-hmm. in this. Like, most weapons have, like, alt fires, but it's just, like, now you can fire a grenade from your gun. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't anything, like, crazy. I mean, even the or... first Turok was just, like, if you play this long enough, you'll get a thing that shoots nuclear bombs. Yeah, yeah. You know, like... The only thing that really ties this game to Turok is you get a bow, and you can have it for the whole game, and there's dinosaurs. Like, mm-hmm. that's really it. There's no tie-in to the story from the first couple games or nothing. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't even know if I played that, this game long enough to see dinosaurs. Really? Like, I, did, I barely got anywhere in this game. The I game actually like looks good. The dinosaurs in this game look amazing. And the boss fights with some, there's not that many. There's only a few boss fights. But the few fo- boss fights that you have are really good. So, I regret my... Review for this game, um, It was I made a mistake, and I'm owning up to it right hmm. now, so that's my first one. What's your second pick, Matt? My second one is uh, Rogue Squadron 3 Rebel Strike. Surprised to hear that. GameCube. Uh, I gave this one a 5 out of 5 as well. Okay, now I, I understand. Yeah, there you go. Because <laughs> uh, I, I, I did love it. Um, I didn't love it as much as I loved Rogue Squadron and Rogue Squadron 2. Because Rogue, Rogue Leader, who I think, which is the definitive game in the series, I it was say. the whole disco dancing scene at the beginning that that yeah. totally <laughs> tipped the scales for you. The uh, well, part of see, part of it was um, like the, there's there's on foot segments in Rebel Strike, which are um, yeah, I had not, forgotten about those. Not the greatest things in the world. They're kind of spastic in places, and uh, you play them now, and you're like, how? How did this get through? You know, how did this get through? But they're pretty short and they're pretty easy, and like they didn't really bother me. I didn't really like them, but they didn't bother me. They didn't stop my progress. And the other thing was, it had co-op, it had multiplayer for the first time yeah. in the series, and it had co-op versions of almost the entire Rogue Leader game in it. You could play co-op. The first was, Rogue Leader. Well, the second Rogue Second one. That's right. That was Rogue Leader. Rogue Leader is the second Rogue right. Squadron. Right. And now we're in Rebel Strike, which is the third Rogue Squadron, but the sequel to Rogue Leader. <laughs> it got way too complicated. 
pellet with the poisons and the vessel with the pestle, the chalice from the palace as the brew that is true. And the uh, Danny Thomas court gesture reference for you. There you go. Yeah, let's go back in time for a little bit for that one. So I, it had, you know, because I love Rogue Leader. I would still give Rogue Leader a five. In fact, you put Rogue Leader on a modern television through like the progressive scan, like, like yeah. the, you know, the, the, the ridiculous component cable you have to pay $300 for on eBay yeah. now. Still have one of those, and you put so that through onto my plasma, and that game looks almost good enough to be this gen. It intensive. really does. Like, it's crazy yeah. how good Rogue Leader looks. Yeah. So like you know, I played it. I played it co-op. I loved it. I thought everything was great, and there was that thing in my head, sort of the same thing like in reverse with Assassin's Creed, where I'm like, well, how can I give less than a five to a game that has a five out of five game in it? Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> That is an interesting conundrum, I will say. It's like, even if you don't like Rebel Strike, Rogue Leader's in this game, and Rogue Leader's great, and you can play it with your friend. You know, it's like, how is that not awesome, you know? So, like, in the end, I I think I should have knocked it down one, uh, but I just couldn't, like, see past my, like, my Rogue Leader fanboyism at that point, and... And no one like really contradicted me on the team. They're like, they're like yeah, I mean, you know, if you think if, if you there's think a five good. out of five game inside it already, inside it, great. <laughs> and yeah, and, and in the end, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't matter in the end. I think people knew what they were getting with that game. Is I don't think I misled anyone into yeah. accidentally buying Rebel Strike, but yeah. like, because frankly, if you just watch the on foot segments, you know something's wrong. Yeah, you, you know, do. <laughs> so it's like, this is not you know, Lair wasn't that much of a surprise. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that would be the one that I would would have liked to have uh, at least thought twice on, yeah. I would say. And, I, you know, I didn't get a whole lot of hate mail on that one. I mean, people, you know, once I said, I think I actually said the thing about, what's well, got Rogue Leader in it? Rogue Leader's great. So it's like, how can you, it's, let's just say, like, yeah, like you, that makes sense. let's just say you're buying ro- <laughs> co-op Rogue Leader and you get, like, this campaign with it. Yeah. Kind of thing, you know? <laughs> And, like, a couple people did kind of think, yeah, that's a good point. I feel yeah. better now. It's like, so, yeah, exactly. But I went back, you know, I went back and once I found my that stupid component cable that I'm just like, oh, my God, that thing is worth that much. Where is it? You know, yeah, I, yeah. I dug through all my boxes till I found it again. Uh-huh. I'm like, well, as long as I spent half a day finding this thing, I might as well use, use it. it. So I hooked up the GameCube and played this and Rogue Leader and a couple of But I'm like, you know what? I played all the way through Rogue Leader and still loved it. Played this about four levels and I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I, I'm not going to do any more of this on foot crap. Um, so yeah, that, that's a that's a regret. I think is that I wasn't a little more. Um... It's also another example of where a series started out as something really pure. Yeah. And then over time, it evolved into something where it wasn't. It was no longer what the original concept was. Yeah, it, it was a kind of an early victim of the whole. Just just do. You know what you you did before. Do it again. Yeah. <laughs> but with prettier things. Yeah. Like that's all. Or with different things. But it's also an example of another problem that the game of Al would have solved because the first game would have gotten a zero in multiplayer. Right. And this one would have gotten some, an, right. a, an actual number score in multiplayer because it has the co op and it was really fun. Right. And so that would have been reflected. So the game of Al would have saved me from myself twice <laughs> so far today. All right. We'll go to my next pick. And this one goes. Back even further than Turok. This was from my days when I worked at GameSpot. Um, this one might hurt people a little bit, but my second pick is Eternal Darkness. So, a little background wow. on this. I had worked at GameSpot for about a year. Like, I started there as, like, a magazine editor. Like, literally, I was just, like, a data entry person who was putting up, like, all the Ziff Davis magazines as websites on GameSpot, because they had like a partnership deal, because that mm-hmm. was like the whole ZD, Ziff Davis, yeah, ZDNet, all that crap. 
You were working with uh, what would become Tech TV at that point. Z- yeah. ZDTV. ZDNet and all that GameSpot stuff. GameSpot TV. And yep. they, were, they were making video reviews out of your, your guys' reviews. Yep, exactly. And uh, so that was my job. And it was supposed to be a full-time job, but I would get all four magazines up online in two days. Hmm. And so I had 28 other days of the month where they're like, this guy's just sitting around here. He's a journalism major. Did he- they really think that's supposed to take you that long? Yeah. Wow. I mean, look, I busted ass because I wanted, I didn't want to do that. Like, I wanted, mm. I did a good job, and I made sure the, they all looked great, and I got the checkoffs from the guys at the magazines. They're like, it looks amazing. But if you give brainless work to someone who cares, like, yeah. they're going to get it done faster. And that's than what I did. And because I wanted to force their hand, I wanted them to be mm-hmm. like, we can't have this guy sitting around here. And it worked. Like, they started letting me do stuff. <laughs> they're going to let you do stuff or fire you. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... So, so I finally started writing there, and then I was there for about a year after that. And like after I started writing for a couple months, they made me features editor, which means I was the guy who worked with all the freelancers to bring in like all the retrospectives. And back then, GameSpot had amazing retrospectives, like mm-hmm. literally like forty pages long on like the Legend of Zelda. They were all text. I wrote a lot of segments on X Play, like retro retrospective segments, just like using the GameSpot stuff as like. Basically, my encyclopedia. Yeah, like they were exhausted. That was, was Wikipedia. Hard. That was Wikipedia before there was Wikipedia. Yeah, basically. it was games. hard to copy edit those things, man. I mean, they were literally like tens of thousands of words long. But anyway, so I did that for a while, and then finally, I got moved into a place where I started reviewing games, and I had been reviewing games. I don't know, like nine months or something like that at GameSpot. And uh, they kind of put me on, like, they were experimenting with the whole, like, IGN thing where they wanted to just have, like, a couple editors working on each platform so that you get to know the contacts and the publishers and the developers and you basically work a beat. Mm. And so I was kind of pushed into, like, the Nintendo channel to work because I think what it was is I was a new guy and nobody else wanted to do it. So... <laughs> So I had to work on, like, GBA and GameCube, basically. And uh, so Eternal Darkness comes in. I wasn't expecting all that much from the game, to be honest with you. I knew about it, and Mm. it had been shown a couple times, but I wasn't expecting that much. And in all honesty, I was completely blown away by this game. This was still pretty early in, like, polygonal video games. We had just Mm. come off, like, the N64 and PlayStation era, where it was kind of... Polygonal, mm-hmm. and this game had been has been had been in development hell for a very for long a long, time. long time. I mean, we had our I think we'd I remember playing an N sixty four version of it at E three years yeah. before it even came out. Like no one thought this game was going to turn out well. Yeah, and I'm not saying the game isn't good. It is good, mm-hmm. but I gave the game a nine point seven. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if I would disagree with that. Really? I love Eternal Darkness. <laughs> and I think I gave it a 5 out of 5 on Did Extended you? Play. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm coming off like just uh, some kind of like random shill at this point. But like, uh, no, I love that game. And I replayed it uh, two years ago and I still love it. I don't know if I'd give it a 9.7 yeah. in today's scores, obviously. Yeah. But um, I love the combat. I love the... the you like the combat. I, I love the because limb system. Because in hindsight, I think it's ridiculous. I like it. Because all you had to do, and I figured it out way before the end of the game. After about, like, 12 hours into the game, I figured out all you had to do was go into every room and just behead every Un- enemy. Unless you're fighting the green guys. Right. Because there's, there's that whole jewel thing. Yeah, you pick the jewel, and that de- determines who your, like, first Strong magic against. thing is, and then, and then who your main enemy is. Right. And if your main enemy is the green uh, elder god, Zelatoth. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, um... <laughs> Was it Zelatoth, Chaturga, and I can't remember the other two. But uh, she, her minions are green, which is magic-based, and if you cut their heads off, there's like this ghost of their head still there with magic, and they can still see you. 
Oh. The magic, the magic guys are jerks. That did not happen to me, though. I literally walked through the whole game just by walking into a room, mm-hmm. cutting off everyone's head, and then the zombies just wander yeah, around. They don't know where they are. They can't like, do anything. I mean, so it gets harder Then you can just mop on, them up. I've made it through the whole game that way. Mm. And, like, in hindsight, any game that allows you to do that is pretty much broken, and you should not get a 9.7. It doesn't work forever, though. But, like... It I, pretty much did. I love that game, like, Look, unequivocally. I, again, like... 9.7 on that, on the GameStops... GameStop, GameSpot... I will always, for the, my entire life, <laughs> say GameStop when I mean GameSpot, and vice versa. Uh, that's pretty high. Yeah. Oh, it's that's... really high. And look, GameSpot back then was like, had only ever given like 110 or something yeah. like that. And I remember I went into Greg... And considering what you gave Shenmue 2. Yeah. Mm-mm. 6.8 or whatever. <laughs> and I, I had to go into Greg Kasavin's office and fight for that score for like two hours. Like literally. I sat there... Look, again, I've said it before. I learned everything about running editorial from Greg mm-hmm. Kasavin. He taught me a big lesson that day. It's like, all right, if you have people who want to give big scores... Make him stand up for him. And somehow, some way, I convinced him that it was a 9.7. And that's what went up. And look, the game, it is still, there's still no other game like Eternal Darkness. No. There's still. And it is the best Lovecraft game ever made. Yeah. And it was not, love, I mean, it's not officially Lovecraft. It's not Cthulhu, but it is clearly Lovecraft. And it's drawing on um, uh, the, the, Eternals, the Eternal Warrior from yeah. um, What's His, what's his Butt. Look, I see a lot of people like laughing in the chat, but one thing you got, some of these people may not, that are laughing may not even have been alive when Eternal Darkness came out. Like, Really? You think we have 15-year-olds watching? Probably. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's Twitch. I guess. It's not age-gated. Who knows? But Why would a 15-year-old watch old men talk about ancient <laughs> video games, though? I mean, maybe we have one. But, of, the t- uh, of the time, I think that game was one of the best games of that year, at the very least. Yeah, I, I, I mean, loved it. It's still crazy. I mean, the game in general, the whole insanity yeah. parts of it. Like, still, no game has ever done that. Like, he did like, uh, or they did like Kojima stuff. Like, they yeah. broke like the fourth wall. They and... even stole Metal Gear Solid's voice cast. They did actually, you're right. <laughs> and that's the other thing too. Like, the voice acting was really good. Yeah. The, the presentation was really good for Are the, the time. Rats eat your eyes. I love that guy. And look, it went through like all these different eras of time mm-hmm. that you kind of jumped through time. Like, the story was really unique, and it all was interwoven and kind of all came together. Like, now I'm convincing myself again. It's a nine point seven. <laughs> I did the same thing with Turok. <laughs> But for its time, it was a pretty impressive game. A little rough around the edges in places, and you could tell it was rushed in some cases in some parts of it. But still, a 9.7 by GameSpot standards back then, no way. I can't believe I convinced Greg Kasavin to let me give it that score. I can't believe Jeff Gersman didn't come and, like, knock me out cold and, like, edit the review and change it to something. So, again, I still think it's a really good game. I just don't think it's a 9.7. And so, you know, I just, I went and looked today to see if that review, because you never know, like, these publications sometimes go back and, like, change scores if they're not happy with them. Nope. I went back. Eternal Darkness still has a 9.7 on GameSpot. (laughs) They have not gone back and changed it. So, yeah. Those are the reviews that I regret the most. Even though, again, I really liked both games. Mm. I don't think I would play Turok again. I might. I would probably play a remastered Eternal Darkness. Yeah. I, I mean, I just played Eternal Darkness again two, two years ago. Like the I, whole thing? You whole played thing. through the whole game? Uh, and keeping in mind, I've already played... I mean, I played through it all three times for the three different gods. And then, like, there's the fourth playthrough right. with the Chaos God as, like, the main... Yeah. The, you get the real ending or whatever. So yeah. I, 
I went through that game a lot. Yeah. I, I, I dug it. I remember when you cast the spells, it would be like, Paragon. 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 Yeah. Paragon Chaturga. Yeah, because you yeah, like stack great. like this thing. Yeah, you stack all the... Paragon was the power rune, so right. the more Paragons you had, the yeah. stronger it was. So you're just right. like, oh, healing the whole health bar today. I yeah. mean, that's the other thing, too. Like, it was an action-adventure game with, like, a crazy, like, spell system in yeah. it. Like, it was just... It still you had is. to like piece them together and find all the pieces of the runes, and then you had to translate them with the codex for the runes. Yeah, it's insane. And I will say that of all the, you know, there's a couple of kind of those breaking the fourth wall jump like scare moments in that yeah. game. And I will say that the the one that said like, oh, you know, reformatting GameCube memory card, like, oh, oh it got out. me, it yeah. got me. I was like, whoa! And then, oh, I, I mean, when I first played, I knew there were insanity effects. Yeah, in the I mean, game, I was but deep there in the still, game. At that I got point. fooled a bunch of yeah. times in that game. See, again, I'm, like, convincing myself it's worth the 9.7, so... All you people who are hating me in the comments good. for the 9.7, go play it before you talk smack. That's all i got to say. If, you're, if you've played it already yeah. and you're giving me crap over it, I, I accept that. Nintendo still own, owns Eternal Darkness, so yeah. they could It'll never theoretically... They uh, could remaster it. They could, but I still think at some point I think they'd have to deal with Silicon Knights, and I'm sure nobody wants to do that. So. Also, like all the FMVs in that game were like really low res. Oh god, they're even low like, res for the time. Yeah, and they'd have to like somehow re-render. I don't see it ever happening. So no, is that game worth any money? Oh yeah. Oh, it is. A fair amount, last I checked. Because wow. I remember, like, you know, I like to sometimes check on those things to make sure that if like something. I don't think it sold very well at all. So. It didn't, but it's like anything anything in the GameCube that was even halfway well regarded is worth at least more than retail. Yeah. Uh, so I think Eternal Darkness is in, uh, at least over, worth over a hundred bucks, even what? loose at Not this bad. point. Sealed, I have no idea. You know, I'm sure it's worth at least ninety-seven dollars. I would say so. Nine, <laughs> Out of one hundred. Ninety-seven point seven. <laughs> all right, it's time to move on to the last topic of the big six today. You knew it was coming even before you saw the rundown of topics today. Biggest announcement of the week. We finally got a look at the new Call of Duty, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. Which sounds like a joke in their own series, but... Yeah, well, it's also Infinite, built by Infinity Ward. Right. (laughs) So, I don't know if they're referencing themselves in the title here. I'm still not sure I understand, after seeing the game, what the relevance of Infinite is. Yeah, I think Infinite just refers to space. I guess. Warfare in the the Infinite. I guess. So, it's, what what are your impressions of this, Matt? How are you feeling about it? I, I I think the tech they're showing off is cool in terms of like what you're using, you know, like the 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 jet thing that can fly into orbit, and apparently, you know, IGN said that like you can actually take like it's seamless, like when you can take the thing up, but it's actually not a focus of the game, so don't like get too excited that you're going to be playing No Man's Sky Call of Duty Edition or anything. Um, I can't quite figure out when it's supposed to be. Because like there's a lot of like, I can't figure that out either. There's like a there's a date on the text that says 26 as the as the year. Is it 2026 or is it like 2126? Because like it's really confusing, Matt. Because... It feels like it's too advanced for 10 years from now, but at the same time, it feels like if you know this is 20 the you know the 22nd century, I would hope we'd have laser guns by then. Right. Here's the problem: the weapons are like from today. Yeah. But everything else... All the cars are electric, though. You know, right, so. right. Everything else is from, like, hundreds of years from now. Like, basically, you know, this is taking place after we've colonized, like, Mars and Saturn. And, like, yeah, because the, the, the enemy in this is supposed to be, like, basically they're trying to control all the resources in the solar system. Right, yeah. So I would well, you knew it couldn't just be the world. We'll say twenty-one, twenty-six they, is the more likely, or if not further. Then why are they shooting guns with bullets still? I don't know. I mean, bullets still gonna kill you no matter what you're. Yeah, is. for sure. <laughs> 
You would think they've, the guns they've got like a, look like they've got what look like autonomous robots running around helping. There's mechs. There's so mechs control. Yeah. yeah, and like, I mean, look space at this. Combat. Even the space combat looks like it's still using projectile weapons. Yeah, in space. So that looks like it's maybe Mercury because the sun's so. It's big. right next to the sun. Yeah. yeah. And here's the thing. So they've already gone on record as saying that like the ship is called like the Jackal or whatever. That sounds right. It's, yeah, something like that. You don't use it that much. No. <laughs> the thing so that was the not... coolest thing in the whole trailer. Yeah, don't get too don't get too comfortable, kid. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like No Man's Sky. No, it's they didn't. You're turn not this like into flying around from planet to planet or no. anything like that. I figure this is like. Like in Halo Reach, where there's like the one level where you fly the Starfighter, basically. Well, I mean, look, there's been levels in Call of Duty where you fly the jet. Yeah. Like, I think it was Black Ops 2, where you're like flying the jet around LA. Like, (laughs) it's really bizarre. So, so I don't think either one of us really shared our opinion on this yet, though. I mean, it's cool that they're kind of doing something like weird with it, but like, it doesn't, just watching it doesn't make me like want to buy it you know it doesn't I mean? really seem any different not really and like i can kind so it of has the jump jets i can already kind of see that like and i guess they're not they have, they've said they're not showing off like these different options that the players are gonna be able to use to like combine into like really more interesting like kind of loadouts and stuff but i look at that and i'm kind of like i can already see the multiplayer and it already looks like the multiplayer that i've already played well it looks just know? like black ops 3 yeah because it has like the double jump. It's not like advanced warfare mm. where you have like the crazy traversal with the jetpack that can jet in different directions. It's like you basically just have a double jump, yeah. like Black Ops Three. And they could potentially one up Battlefront if they decided to actually put you know decent dogfighting combat in the multiplayer. There's no way they're gonna do that. No. No. I don't even think you'll touch a, a ship or any vehicle in multiplayer. I mean, I don't know if you mm. noticed or not, but they had that like uh, that bot on Facebook or on Twitter where you could like ask him questions and he would reply mm. and like 40 to 50 percent of every reply he typed out was like boots on the ground gotta get boots on the ground <laughs> like basically like pounding it home mm. that like this isn't going to be some crazy mm. tangent from the franchise and like and did you see uh, the battlefield dev that like hit back no huh uh one of the battlefield guys said um said like isn't that adorable like their precious 2010 graphics and their uh and their free camera movement for their cutscenes. Like, he was making fun of how, like, Whoa. archaic he thought it was. And he said, you know, this Friday is on Twitter. He said, this this Friday, the, the you know, the internet's going to melt or something. Like, implying that, like, the new Battlefield's going like, to be way better. Breaking than... the internet is, like, the biggest cliche yeah. now. And then, of course, you know, on top of that, there was people, like, point on Reddit pointing out that, like, it like this game uses animations from Call of Duty 4. Like, there's a couple of animations in it that are, that are basically reused Not that big of a surprise. From a nine-year-old game. Yeah. Which is like, you know, on one hand, it's like, how many ways can a guy die? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> or run, or whatever. And speaking of Call of Duty 4... Yeah, nice segue there. So, it's going to be included with the Collector's Edition? Like the del- Digital Deluxe, I think the trailer says, or something like I that. I mean, honestly, shouldn't they just pack it in with every version of the game? I am not It's Activision. They're not giving you anything for free. They're not releasing Call of Duty 4... Separately. No. Or so they say. Which I think is a big bull, pile of bullcrap. Like, I fully believe that by this time next year, you'll be able to buy the remaster, probably digitally. I doubt they'll Digital. make box Well, you copies. know what they're going to do is they're going to be like, they're going to put out a remaster of Modern Warfare 2 or in, and 3, and they're going to be like, oh, it also includes 1. Yeah, so so, they're gonna do so like technically, the trilogy, you're but... never going to be able to buy Modern Warfare 1 by itself remastered. But, so they remaster the Modern Warfare trilogy is what that you're would saying. Be, that would be my guess. 
It could be. For those, yeah, who I know everybody's really chomping at the bit to play Modern Warfare 3 again. Yeah. To... <laughs> now, Infinity Ward is saying that it does not care if people buy the game and never play Infinite Warfare online and instead play Call of Duty 4 online. I have a problem believing that. Well, because, like, what do you sell people that are playing that instead Nobody of Nobody creates Warfare? a brand new game and doesn't care if anyone plays it. Like, that's just not how it works. Clearly, they think that, the, you know, that Infinite Warfare is going to be more compelling to play than possibly some, right. some people's They're favorite multiplayer. They're assuming that no matter what, and I mean, look, I think I said this either last week or the week before, that I went back recently and played Call of Duty 4, and it wasn't as good as I had remembered mm-hmm. it being. Um, this game is nine years old. I know. So yeah, I mean, nine. totally understandable. Um, ten maps for the multiplayer for Call of Duty 4. Mm. They announced like two more of them today. Um, how big of a selling proposition do you think that that imparts into the package? I mean, it's it's a decent selling point to me. I mean, I really liked Call of Duty 4. And so, oh, at the time, it blew my freaking yeah. mind. And uh, But it's nine years later. Yeah, I mean, but it's at the same time, I'm like, well, I haven't played it in forever. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, oh, I'd like to... And I've even thought about, like, maybe I should play the old Call of Duties again. And, like, now I'm like, maybe I should wait and play yeah. the remastered Call of Duty again. <laughs> it does then, look like they've made a pretty significant leap visually. They, yeah, the comparison I, pictures are pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just a quick and dirty port mm-hmm. where they just up everything. They actually like they replaced some, textures yeah. and did some work on it. And they changed some architecture in places to, like, make it fit better. I mean... It, it looks looks okay. It looks good. It's oh. a good bonus for a game. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you look back across... For a remastered version of one of the biggest games of all time, like yeah. that's a that's pretty good way of getting back on board after losing my confidence with Ghosts. I think that's what's going on right here. That's mm. the olive branch, the peace offering from Infinity Ward. <laughs> Remember? Remember when we were good? <laughs> <laughs> Remember when Respawn worked here? Pretty much. <laughs> That's pretty much exactly what they're saying. Yeah. I'm surprised they may even have rights to that game after all the oh, legal foibles that it went down. I'm sure I'm sure those contracts were ironclad yeah. in terms of who owns what. Yeah. But uh so let me ask you this. Are you more excited for the remaster of Call of Duty four or Infinite Warfare? Oh the remaster. Really? Sure. Yeah. I don't care about I don't care about Call of Duty really? games. <laughs> I got and I and I don't Look, I don't really have any faith in their storytelling ability, or I would be more interested in like kind of a campaign that took place in that weird future yeah. political struggle world. Like, I mean, I think that's, they've got an interesting premise. I just don't have any faith in their ability to kind of follow through. The you know Call I mean? of Duty campaigns have, to me, have just turned into complete noise. Mm-hmm. Like, even Black Ops 3, to me, I had to struggle my yeah. way through that campaign. Well, and look, for me, Treyarch had made campaigns that I loved playing through. The first two Black Ops, like, I sucked those campaigns up, man. Like, even went back and, like, played them again on, like, a harder difficulty mm-hmm. and didn't last very long because it's ridiculous. See, I didn't but... like the Black Ops campaigns at all because I think the difference between Treyarch and classic Infinity Ward was that Infinity Ward knew how to make something breathe. Like, they knew how, they knew there needed to be Peaks quiet and parts. yeah. And the Treyarch games are just, like, it's like a man screaming in your face the whole damn time. No, you're right. It's a Michael right. Bay movie. You know, it, it never stops. You should, and, I don't know if you ever went, no, Abby would always go from G4. But going to those review events where you literally had one day to play the campaign mm-hmm. in your room. And then they send you out to this, like, mess hall where you play with everybody else for multiplayer for the rest of the time. Playing that campaign all in one day, mm-hmm. all in one sitting, I tell you, you walked out of that room to go to dinner, and you were just like, 
Yep. Well, I did. I did that for Modern Warfare too, where they they sent us to some like resort in Long Beach or something, and like we you sat there and you played the whole thing, and then you came down for. I, I was. I think I finished the whole campaign in like the afternoon they gave us. Yeah. We came down for dinner, and like, I didn't even know what to say to anyone. You're like shell shocked. Everyone yeah. was just like, Whoa. you know, like that was it crazy. It was, and, and, right. And, and honestly, I would say only. <laughs> and then it, Call of Duty 4 was the only Call of Duty, even by Infinity Ward, that really had the peaks and valleys. Maybe 2 a little bit. 2, two had them, 4 did it better, I think. I played 4 at Infinity Ward. I, I went in and they, I sat in their giant theater they had at their old office and I played it. And periodically they'd come in and stare at me while I played it. Yeah, it's and, always awkward. And periodically the guy who designed a certain level would come in and watch me play that, that level. level. I'm just yeah. like, bro, I don't... <laughs> Don't perform in front of an audience. Well, it's cool. <laughs> ironically enough, you know, but um, and but like you know, and and the funny thing is, like on Call of Duty Four, I remember the message. So you, I, 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 same thing. Like I came out of it after like playing for like five hours to eat lunch, and I'm sitting there just sort of like whoa, and like like eating, and they're like, what do you think? And I'm just like, fucking crazy, man. Yeah. Like it's <laughs> it's amazing. Like I can't believe. And they're like, really? And, and, uh, and I, cool, cool, because like I'd done Call of Duty too, as same thing. Yeah. Uh, and they were really con- like, "Did you really like it? You like really?" I'm like, "Yeah, it was great. I really enjoyed Call of Duty. I was not ready for it." And I remember going into Call of Duty too, just feeling like, like they basically sent me out there because no one else wanted to do it. Or like, I don't you remember Modern I'm- Warfare too. Hmm? No, I mean Call of Duty too. So the launch okay. of Xbox 360, their last World War II game. Right. And I was just like, oh, I don't want to play another World War II shooter. I don't care. I'm not into it. But it was I good. Was, it was great. It was, like, it was like, I was not ready for it. And they right. were all super concerned about like, you know, was it okay? You like this? Did you like this? And then for Call of Duty 4, for Modern Warfare, I went in there like, it's pretty awesome. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> like they knew. Like they knew they oh, had yeah. like the game. Remember yeah. that? I remember I was with Keeley and literally like eight other journalists the first time anybody saw that. And I remember they turned the lights on. I looked around and I was like, is everybody else blown away? And I just saw everybody like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's like, I, I, I talked last week about the, the ghillie suit thing that he threw. Everybody stood up and the whole audience just went, yeah. oh. like it was, it, was, it was a gasp in yeah. the crowd. It was, it, was, it was, you know, it's old hat now, but it really was Back something then. special then. I mean, meanwhile, the series financially continues to chug along. Yeah. I, I will say the reception to Infinite, down, Infinite Warfare has not been good. Um, Do you think it's going to matter sales-wise? Probably not. Be <laughs> a lot of people like to cry and complain, but look, the sales did drop a bit for ghosts. Yeah, but they so, did came back up. Yeah, but Black Ops Three did really well. It did, and uh, I don't know. This looks a lot like Black Ops Three to me. This game, mm. I really have a hard time telling the difference between the two games. I haven't played Black Ops Three, so I don't. I wouldn't know. It would almost really. almost be a fun test to put like ten seconds of footage of this game in front of somebody. And then 10 seconds of Black Ops 3 and see if they could actually tell the difference. Because <laughs> I really doubt that they would. Unless they knew the games, like, really well. And knew very little, like, specific things to look for. But it looks very much the same. Look, they're trying to sell this whole space combat thing. I guarantee you it's going to be, like, two levels where you fly around in space. It's not the crux of the game. They've pretty much gone on record saying that's not the case. But they haven't really said to what extent. I guarantee you'll probably get two missions with the Jackal in mm-hmm. space. And that'll be that. So... I don't know. We put up a poll yesterday. Our poll of the day was for this. And I was actually kind of surprised to see that some people had kind of changed their opinion on the franchise with seeing mm. this this trailer. I'll say this. I, I think maybe I'd want to see this movie. Yeah. I don't know if I want to spend eight hours <laughs> playing the game. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of reminds me of a lot of other games. Yeah. Like Red Faction a little bit at times. And like... Mm, mm-hmm. 
It's just, you know, typically Call of Duty, like say what you want about it, but usually when I see it, I'm like, that's Call of Duty, and I know right away. But watching this, like, it could have could be like the reboot of Red Faction. Like, it doesn't just scream Call of Duty. I don't know if that's good or bad. That screams Call of Duty. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> but according to like the people in our poll, it sounds like it could have tipped the scales a little bit and turned a tide for them. So. Obviously, small sample size with sifted users, but, uh, and again, you know, the, a lot of the fans were hating on it pretty hardcore on the uh, YouTube, co- in the YouTube comments for the debut trailer, so, but that's YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> they hate everything, so, I don't know. I, I've re- I have to say, I have really fallen out of favor with Call of Duty over the last two years. I mean, I've said it before, I used to play it. Constantly, like if I had an extra ten minutes, and I'm waiting for my wife to get ready to go out and eat dinner. I played a match of Call of Duty, and I just don't do that anymore. Like it's just, it's just, it's not, it's no longer like a part of my life. Like really, Call of Duty for a while was like something that was always there, like a an old friend. Well, the, <laughs> I mean, for me, uh, you know, like Ghosts of Advanced Warfare, that was the turning point. Black Ops Ghosts Three and this do kind of all blend. If you didn't show me stuff from the like with the space fighter stuff. Like, I probably wouldn't be able to tell, tell you the difference between, like, that and Advanced Warfare. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Be interested to see what all you guys think. You obviously, some of you guys voted in the polls. Not all of you, obviously. There's lots of you. There's so many lurkers on Sifted. Like, it's so funny. They just come to the site, and they just look at stuff and leave. They don't interact. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. If you're listening to this right now, come be a part of the community. It's fun. <laughs> There's lots of good people on Sifted. They all watch this show, by the way. We like, have cake. Like, literally, like... I think it's 96% of our subscribers watch wow. the show. But 96% of our users don't interact on the website. It's really bizarre. Hmm. It's really strange, especially with the community that we've built. It's, like, really welcoming and I don't know. So if you're listening to this or watching this and you're one of those people who just lurk, join in. It's fun. What do the other 4% do? Just watch Pactor? I don't know. <laughs> Some of them are probably just lapsed, like, mm. subscribers who subscribed and just... Lapsed sifters. Maybe come by every Forgive them, Father Shane, for they have sinned. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We don't want to talk about Call of Duty too much on this show, because I can just tell by the poll that most pe- a lot of people were like... One of the options was, like, it does nothing for me. I'm done with this series. Mm. And that was, like, the second most, like, popular. Well, I mean, I'm... Yeah, you probably would have voted Pretty that. much. I, I mean, I'm interested in... Like I said, I'm interested in Modern Warfare because I enjoyed that game and it has pleasant feelings of, of nostalgia, which is weird that something that came out in 2007 is nostalgic for me. Yeah. But, um, like, this, the new... I don't... I mean, I'll probably play it because there's, like, Space Fighter stuff and, you'll, you know, Space Fighters will always get me to at least touch <laughs> something, you know? <laughs> But like, yeah. like you say, I think it's going to be like a very limited element of the game. Yeah. And I figure, I figure I will play through the game until the first space fighter thing, and then it'll put me back on boots on the ground, and I'll be like, eh, I see this. what else is on. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was like, That's about as far as it'll go. Yeah. So I don't want to talk about Call of Duty too much. I know a lot of uh, you sifters are not big fans of it, but and there's it, nothing to really say yet. But like it or not, it is the biggest franchise in the industry. The best still. The best selling still. The, yeah. the game that everybody looks at when they think about video games. The first game the average person thinks about. I think it's is interesting that the the fluctuations in the sales, though, depending on the title, was in that. Like I guess that audience, well, everybody kind of thinks of that the audience that buys up in millions and millions of Call of Duty copies, like as like just kind of sort of brainlessly buying. No. God, they know the difference between oh, the different. Oh, they know their stuff, man. Yeah. They're hardcore gamers. The problem is, well, we can, maybe you can call it a problem. Maybe it's not a problem. The thing is, is they just play one game. Right. 
and they're really freaking good at it. That's why when you and I go on and play, we get our asses handed to us because there's these people that are, that's mm-hmm. all they play, all day, every day. And they should kick mm-hmm. our asses. Yeah, it's a different type of gamer than me. Same with the, like, the guys who just play League of Legends. But the, Yeah, you're right. But they're core gamers. They're yeah. hardcore. Like, they know the difference between Infinity Ward and Treyarch and, all the, and Sledgehammer and all these people that are working on these games. Oh, so yeah. Focusing on one thing doesn't make you less of a gamer. It just appears that hardly any of them are subscribers to Sifted, so... <laughs> We will move on too to... Busy, too busy playing. Uh, maybe so. We'll move on to our trailer of the week. Tough decision this week. Uh, today, there was a new trailer for uh, Lego Star Wars The Force Awakens, which mm, was really was good. good. Um, yesterday, there was a new, brand new trailer for Dawn of War 3. That's which, what I would have picked. Which, honestly, is the best trailer of the yeah. week. Yeah. But I'm I, very excited for that, because I like the Dawn of War games. I'm glad they're... I predicted they would announce it around E3, but I'm I'm really glad it exists and it's it's happening. If you have not watched that trailer that yet, that trailer's crazy. Go watch it. It's freaking awesome. No matter how much you care about 40K, that trailer is yeah. really awesome. In the grim darkness of the far future, there is only badass CG trailers. Yeah, it's it, it's, <laughs> it's awesome. And uh, and so we didn't pick that one either because again, I can look at how many people look at the trailers. I can see what people are interested in today. We got the first ever trailer for the first really legitimate piece of DLC for Fallout 4. Mm. Um, the first non-horse armor, really. Yeah, I mean, because all the other DLC has been like, hey, now you got a little robot sidekick. and Yeah, they're all, like, they're all enhancements so far. It's not yeah. an expansion. This is the first legitimate expansion. It's called Fallout 4 Far Harbor. Uh, coming out, when is it? The end of the month? Is it? I think it is. It's coming up pretty quick. It's before E3, I guess, yeah. Yep. So, anyway, here it is, the debut trailer for the first legit DLC for Fallout 4. Please, bring my daughter home. We've paid our dues in blood and bullets. This is our fight. Our island. Not yours. The fog can do a number on you. Get you all turned around. Far Harbor has a right to the truth. The people of Far Harbor need only peer out their windows to look upon the face of Adam himself. Given form in holy fog. I know peace can still be achieved. Peace? You call murdering one of ours peace? Careful. This could get out of hand real fast. Alright, so you guys are well trained at this point. We don't have to ask for questions anymore. You guys just know during the trailer of the week, it's time to ask questions. Uh, so let's see if we got any good ones. Did you find any find one early by any chance? Uh, yeah. Um... Darturus has wanted to know for the last hour or so uh, <laughs> any new info on the sifted price hike. Oh. Um, so basically our deadline to give you the new price for sifted is in two weeks. Because June 1st is when the first person ever paid for a subscription on sifted. So we want to give you guys two weeks notice, everybody two weeks notice, uh, before we change the pricing so we can send that out. Because legally I think we have to send out like at least mm-hmm. a week in advance uh, changes. Also, we want people to have a chance to update their payment information. You guys might want to just do that now anyway. 
because it will be coming up in less than a month that everything's going to turn over and will be charged again. And if maybe you sign up with a credit card that you've since canceled, or maybe you don't have money in your PayPal account, whatever, we want to make sure that you guys are prepared for that. So probably in two weeks, um, we're launching the new show DLC next week. So maybe the first episode of DLC to get you guys to watch it. Mm. I'll, uh, I'll include that information in there, but it's coming up really soon. I think we've pretty much settled on where it's going to be. There's going to be some changes, though. You guys are going to be surprised to uh, kind of hear the whole plan going forward because we're not going to just keep going the way we have been going, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, there's going to be some changes to the subscription structure, uh, subscription price, and some other things. So, uh, yeah, within a couple weeks, you guys will know. Uh, Nolan Elric asks, how often did Sessler or Webb do their own reviews? Did they do the Ratchet and Clank reviews? Um, they, early in the, in the early days of X-Play, they both did reviews very regularly. A Adam did reviews regularly till the end of the, sh until he was removed from the show. Um, he, I think he reviewed pretty much every Ratchet and Clank game. Um, uh, and the, and the Resistance games. He did all the Resistance games. He did stuff pretty regularly. Morgan reviewed stuff semi-regularly, but once we, uh, moved to, um, once we moved to the, the new building, the E building, like, there was basically, like, a shift where, like, they were more regimented in who could do what. So, like, talent couldn't, like, necessarily do two jobs. So, like, <clears throat> we, we, that sort of stopped after that. Adam and Morgan never really reviewed games. Like, Adam would pick, like, two games a year to review. Mm -hmm. It would be, like, Sly Cooper and, like, one other game. He, did, he loved platformers and did several of those. Yeah. Uh, Morgan Moore would produce segments. Yeah. She Morgan would... was more into, like, the TV production part of it. She, I don't remember, maybe one game she ever reviewed. She did a few. I, I remember her reviewing. She reviewed Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. She reviewed a few things. Yeah. Uh, but it was when she had time, basically. Yeah, but nobody realizes that watching X-Play. They just assume that Adam, and people get Yeah, so, I mean, the, the conceit was I felt was bad for them because, like, a lot of times they would get, like, pounded on by viewers yeah. for reviews that, like, one of our freelancers wrote who lives in, like, Kansas. Like, Oh, and uh, to this day, like... And we tried to explain, like, oh, they're not day, writing new reviews. Oh, yeah, to this day, if people think Adam hated JRPGs, yeah. he didn't hate JRPGs. We just took that, like, we just took that and ran with it. it yeah, was it was, yeah, it was a shtick. Yeah. Um, yeah, they didn't review hardly anything. Just like, they didn't have time to. They had too much other stuff to yeah, do. Yeah, just like mispronouncing Naruto. <laughs> exactly on purpose. There was, we, remember the time we um, it, I had Adam eat the rare Yu-Gi-Oh card on, uh, yeah, on camera, yeah. and we got like hate mail for <laughs> weeks about that. Just people screaming, "If you didn't want it, why didn't you send it to me?" I'm like, "Cause I don't know who the hell you are." Also, we didn't actually destroy the card. It was a cut. Like we did a cut, and he ate a Karibo. Yeah. It was. It was not. I did not give him one of my rare Yu-Gi-Oh cards to eat. Holy cow! There's a lot of questions. You guys are really pouring them in today. I found one earlier I wanted to answer. Someone asked a question, and I want to use your name. I don't want to not mention your name. Somebody had mentioned if I was the person who wrote uh, the employment ads for GT on Craigslist. Yes, I was. Like, hmm. we typically, that's how we hired at GT. We just put stuff up on Craigslist because we would try these other outlets like LinkedIn or these other places, and what we would get is just like, 20 million resumes from people who had no business applying for jobs at GT. So what we found is like, if we use Craigslist, we would get like legit candidates for our jobs and it worked. Like, but so yeah, I was the one writing the job descriptions and I'd send the description off to HR at Viacom and then Viacom HR would take care of the rest. They'd do the initial kind of pass and kind of narrow it down to like 100 candidates. And then I would look through like all 100 resumes 
to try to find like the actual people to bring in an interview. So yeah, that was part mm -hmm. of my job there. Um, Han Low Blow asks, "Hey guys, what would make you excited and get you back into COD?" I mean, I'll play it. You could, I, like, you could like erase my memory of the last nine years. It's about like I don't. I just feel like I've done it. I don't think I'm ever gonna get back to where I was, where I was literally like playing it every day. Like my wife would go to sleep, and I'd like stay up an extra hour to like play a Call of Duty. Like that's. I don't think I'll ever get back to that place again. Like I've just, I've just played so much of it, and like it changes so little. Like I still, when I first get it, like that first week, I still really love it because it gets me back to that place, my happy place, or at least what I thought my happy place was. Um, but it just hasn't snagged me over the last couple installments. Ghost was kind of the beginning, and then Black Ops 3. Like, I've typically, Treyarch's shooters, I really get into them. But honestly, like, my most recent favorite was Advanced Warfare. And once I got a hold of the traversal in that, everything else just feels like going backwards. And I know that's an unpopular opinion among a lot of Call of Duty players. My personal opinion is that Advanced Warfare took it to the next level, and now we have these other people trying to bring it back. And once I have the ability to, like, jump and be in midair and dash any direction I want to, like, going back to just a double jump is just, it doesn't work for me. So and also this, if, if that EA executive guy's comments from a couple months ago are accurate, we might be choosing between Call of Duty and Titanfall this yeah. year, and that's not a choice for me. Yeah. Because one has Titans. Right. Falling. There are twice. They're just a lot smaller. <laughs> uh, this is for video games. Asked, did you guys get the humble Nintendo bundle? Uh, no, because I have like all but like one or two of those games on other platforms already. So uh, I passed on that. It is a really good bundle if you don't have everything already. Oh, here's a really good one from Francis Alex Four. Question: I noticed that the reviews you both mentioned, you regret giving the game such a high score. Has there been any game you regret giving a low score to because now you realize it deserved a higher one? No. <laughs> I thought about that when you asked me that today. I try, Are there anything like low that I wish I'd, I was too hard on? And I can't think of one. Uh, I can't think of one either. You know what the other thing is? Like, I when you asked that question earlier today, I pretty much blanked on everything I'd ever reviewed ever. <laughs> I had to like dig into my, uh, like I, I had to look up stuff on like Metacritic and stuff. Be like, oh yeah, I wrote that. I wrote that. I wrote that. Uh, here's one from Ian Esquire. I'm assuming you're a lawyer. Um, whatever happened to the deep dive segment? I know you deep dive with every topic in the Big Six, but any chance of that coming back? The logistics of it are a nightmare. That's yeah. really what it came. It literally killed us to try to have a guest on this show every week when we first launched it. It was a mad scramble. The technology was always finicky. People, the, I think the biggest problem was it, it, the production values were just crap, in my opinion. For after all the work and all the mm. organization, at the end of the day, the production values were crap. Because people would say, oh yeah, I got a great mic, and yeah, I'll make sure I set up a nice shot. And then, just like an hour before showtime, you're connecting with them, and there's like... It's like six frames a second. Like, there's like dirty laundry mm. behind them, and their mic is like clipping out. Like, it just... After all the work, it just wasn't worth it. If we're ever going to bring somebody in for a deep dive or something like that, it would probably just be bringing them in here personally. So we can just shoot them with the camera and give mm. them a mic and do it that we'll way. stick them right here in the corner. Yeah, exactly. like, mm, don't lean forward. <laughs> Man, you guys are rolling them in tonight. The problem is some people ask questions and then other people answer. Yeah. Uh... 
Oh, that's a tough one. SMC92 Ian asks, if you could only have one console for the rest of your life, what would it be? Wait a minute. Somebody just posted in here, pens win in overtime. You better not be pulling my leg. If you're trolling me, you're banned from safety. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think they're trolling. Somebody told them spoilers after that. Carl Carlston, if you're lying to me, we've got, we got big issues, brother. We got beef. <laughs> He's been... He's been, like, worried about that game this whole time, and you, you wouldn't say anything about it. Yeah. And they were like, oh, ask the people in the chat for, like, the score. And I was like, I'm not doing it, but now I'm, like, well, Now they brought it up. <laughs> like, during the trailer of the week, he's, like, looking at his phone, like, I gotta know the score. Overtime! Yeah, I he's saw like... that it went into overtime. And I was like, oh, my God, this is, like, torture. They're in OT right now. So, uh, I hope you're being honest. If not, you really just broke my heart. Because if they did win an OT, I'm really excited about that. So... <laughs> They're saying they're not joking. Other people are saying Pens they did, did win. win. Someone else says they're a Cavs fan and they hope he's wrong. <laughs> it's real. Pens won. All right, you guys. If you're toying with my heartstrings here, I'm going to be really upset. So, all right, let's get back to the show. I answer a couple more questions one here. One console for the rest of your life, what would it be? You have to pick one console. And its whole library? Yeah. As of, like, today? Yeah. Xbox 360. That's a good one. That's a good question, by the way. Dan, of this generation, I would probably say PlayStation 4, I'm guessing. Maybe. But right now, Xbox 360. Yeah, maybe 360 or... Um, or if, Super Nintendo. If I'm limited to... If, if I can still have a PC, then well, I would... Well, PC's not fair, right? Then I would say Dreamcast. Because Dreamcast has a lot of my old favorites on it. There's not enough games, though. If you only had one console to play the rest of your life... I have a hundred Dreamcast games. That's not very many. It's not many, but it's about as much you as you You start thinking about have. Xbox 360. Yeah. Like, you're talking about thousands. Yeah, but how many of those are worth playing? But, look, here's the thing about Xbox 360. Like, for a while, I got hooked on, like, games like Texas Hold'em. Like, I would literally, like, play, like, poker mm. on my Xbox 360 for three or four hours a night for, like, weeks and weeks. And when you start talking about that kind of breadth mm. and just, like kart race or whatever all the indie stuff i mean my xbox 360 is loaded with games like my library from xbox 360 is insane because this one versus 100 yeah like just all that kind of stuff like you know not even the big stuff necessarily it's just like it was like the playstation 2 or Mm. the playstation 1 or the super nintendo like no matter what you're into there's like a game to play so i would say xbox 360 Maybe PlayStation 2, because Japanese games were a little better on PlayStation 2 than they were on Xbox 360, but I don't play a ton of Japanese games anymore. I don't think anybody does, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of the way things have worked out. So you guys are coming out with good questions tonight. Nolan Ellerick asks, do you guys go down the main rabbit hole, or do you have any ar- old arcade favorites? Oh, I can go on and on about arcade yeah. favorites. I don't really do the MAME thing, but I do like a good ar- old, you know, barcade that has some good classic games. I don't even have MAME, to be honest, or any ROMs. Mm-hmm. The, only, the only emulator I have is Dolphin. And yeah, I, I have Dolphin to play Xenoblade Chronicles. And I have, like, three games for Dolphin. Like, I literally just got it so I could just see how good the GameCube games looked. Like, because I have pretty yeah. much the whole GameCube well, I did the whole uh, homebrew rip thing, like, with my own games. And so I ripped, like, a couple discs so I could play it on my PC and with better graphics. That's... Pretty much the only emulator stuff I did. Arcades, we can go down to rabbit hole, my friends. Yeah. I, I grew up in the. Yeah, I, go, I go on and on about arcades. Grew stuff. up in the arcades. Like I remember, I was obsessed with arcades. For one, I would do mm. anything to be able to go into one. And like, I talked last week about how we used to ride our bikes down to the bad part of town yeah. to go to that arcade. 
The most vivid memory I have of arcades isn't a good one. So I had grandparents on my father's side who were really like traditional, like my, my grandfather was kind of stodgy. And he was disciplinary and like he was good for me, you know, he made me grow up right and make sure I had good morals and everything. But he didn't like anything like modern or technology, he was pretty religious. I remember one time hit, my grandmother and him drove me to the mall, me, my sister and I, and we walked into the mall, and we were like six or seven years old, just old enough to where they felt okay with us. This was before people were insane and would like kidnap kids. Mm-hmm. So he, they give us both five dollars, and they're like, "Okay, now meet us back in the center." It wasn't of the before mall. that because that never happened. It, it was before everybody was paranoid about right, it. Right, right, yeah. And he's like, "So meet, they're like, meet us back in the center of the mall at, in like two hours or whatever." So I'm like, I look at that five dollars, and I'm like, "Oh my god." That's 20 video games. Dude, I literally just turned and bolted to the arcade. My sister goes and like buys like a hairbrush or whatever. I go to the arcade. I had, had never had more than like a dollar to go to the arcade. Mm-hmm. My parents were always like, here's a dollar. And I'd be like, oh, I'm going to make this last for like an hour or two hours, like four quarters. They gave me $5. I was like a crackhead who just fell into a pile <laughs> of cocaine, man. I ran to the arcade and spent it all in like an hour. Like I just went crazy. Like I literally cracked out as like a six-year-old. At you the made arcade. it last longer than your sister. Yep. Well, then my sister comes wandering in with her hairbrush that she bought or whatever, and she's like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'm playing video games." And she's like, "Well, Grandma and Grandpa have been looking for you." And I was like, "Oh no!" And she's like, "And I saw him coming." That minute, I look up and my grandfather is standing in the doorway of the arcade, and it just the rage on his face. Like I could just tell he was just like. You've been playing with the devil, boy. And he came and he grabbed me literally by my hair and dragged me out of that arcade and swore for the first time in my entire life. I heard my grandfather swear. He would always say, like, bullpucky and stuff like that. He let me have it. Literally, like, pulled the hair. Like, it was traumatizing. (laughs) What were you playing? Everything. Like, literally. Like, all the, like, before I would only play, I'd get a dollar. So I'd play the games that, like, I knew I was good at. So I was, like, really good at ER Kung Fu. I was really good at Punch-Out. So I'd play games like that where I knew if I put a quarter in, I could play them for a while mm-hmm. and get, like, some value out of it. But, dude, he gave me that $5. And every game I had ever salivated over, I was like, I'm playing it today. I'm playing it today. And he literally, he could not comprehend. He thought that, he's like, you might as well just set that money on fire. And I mean, he just went off on me. So didn't, didn't uh, deter me, did he? Well, Here no. I am sitting today talking about video games, but... You enjoy money you spend on experiences more than things. Yeah, exactly. Grandpa. Oh, I didn't say anything. No. I was so scared, man. I just was like, okay. It's funny, though, because like when I the first game I ever saw I ever saw at all was an Asteroids machine when I was three years old at a, at a restaurant. Keep in mind that $5 back then was worth a lot more than $5 Yeah, yeah that now. was 20 games. Yeah. It's not like it costs a dollar, dollar fifty to play one game now. Yeah. That was a quarter for everything. I'm not even just saying in the arcade. I'm just saying $5 in general. Oh, yeah. Like now, $5 is like five dollars would buy you two Star Wars figures. Those are ten bucks now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like five dollars was worth a lot more money back. It's probably oh, like yeah. going and spending like maybe twenty now in an it's arcade. Pr- uh, back, yeah, it's probably closer to between fifteen and twenty yeah. now, inflation wise. My grandpa was not happy. Yeah, but that didn't deter me one bit, man. But like, <laughs> I, first thing I first one I ever saw was Asteroids. It was in a, uh, a restaurant called Farrell's, and a, uh, maybe it was a few months. Yeah, I was three years old. I have no sense of time. Yeah, but at some point. Like, my grandparents, my grandma was, there was a party for my cousin's birthday, and my grandma was like, oh, you guys should come, and my parents didn't want to go, but I wanted to go because it was at Farrell's, and I knew Asteroids would be there, and I figured I could weasel some quarters out of everybody, 
And apparently, I don't remember it very well, but apparently I was a monstrous child that whole <laughs> night. And it's the one time in my entire life my grandmother was angry at me. Yeah. And she brought, basically brought me back home and threw me back in the, in the front door and said, take him, get him out of here. Like, back then. And my like, mom was like, what the hell? He's like, she, and she's like, he was off. I still remember, I don't remember what she said, but I remember the t- disappointed tone in her, in her voice yeah. when she was, like, she was like, he was horrible. And that generation of people, because look, a lot of those people came through like the depression. Mm-hmm. And almost all of them did, where yeah. they literally like had to go and beg for like cheese or bread to like yeah. eat. Like my, my grandma was eighteen when the depression hit. They could not comprehend she, she things like video games. Like mm-hmm. it just could not compute. Like it was just mm-hmm. like uh, you looked at something and you paid for looking at something. Like yeah. they just couldn't understand it. I'm like, like it's like, the, and oh, my grandfather I remember would try to like because he was the easygoing one. He'd be, be like. It's like it's like the penny arc. It's like the nickel, nickel, the nickel movies. You yeah, like watch yeah. the thing, and she's it's just like that. She's like, but this is a quarter. Yeah, you know, exactly. It was like, it's it's funny that like we both have like traumatized. Yeah. I mean, nobody picked me up by my hair, but it's yeah, like. Well, my grandpa it, did. My, I mean, if you knew my grandma, like, the idea that she would been would have been angry at me, yeah. impossible, <laughs> impossible. But like, no, that one time, I still remember that to this day. Uh, all right, let's see if we can find one or two more questions before we. No wonder that whole like video game addiction thing came up around that same that, that same moral panic time. Yep. Uh, let's see. Although one of my fa- my favorites actually I was going to mention was uh, because of the Civil War coming up as I've had a hankering to play Captain America and the Avengers that Data East beat him up with all the ridiculous voice acting. Now here's one. Rewind play play labs. What is your favorite Shane GIF from the Shane GIF page in the Shifted <laughs> Forum? My favorite one's the Ren and Stimpy one, the pushing the button one. It's freaking brilliant, man. I love Ren and Stimpy, and like, I don't know how they got faces to match each one of those animations, but it's amazing. Well, we do Whoever go on for a while. There's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of stuff to choose from. Yeah, Matt's is really good, too, the Nintendo one. <laughs> really, Nintendo. You guys are doing a great job with that stuff. Uh, let's see if we can find one more question, I guess. There's just so many people commenting about all the other stuff we've been talking about. And I almost accidentally banned somebody, so I should probably stop scrolling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you can't find one? You didn't no, see one? Everyone's just talking about uh, arcade games they liked. Yeah, we inspired discussion among... America still needs your help. Yeah, all right. So I guess we'll, we'll end the Q&A there. We rambled on a little bit about the arcades, but it was fun to talk about it. So now it's time to go to the Sifted Elite... Roll call. This week's new members to the Sifted Elite Green Club, Jenny Wu, Bradley Gamer, Ian Esquire, who is in our chat tonight. Thank you very much, brother. The Tree Hugger. I said that like Canadian Bear Hugger from <laughs> Punch Out. And the Wind Waker. Thank you guys very, very much. As always, I appreciate it very much. So that's going to do it for episode 48. A heavy Star Wars-influenced episode. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so. Yeah, it's the day for it. it is, if there is one day, today is the day. Plus, this week was terrible for topics. Yeah, really not a lot happened. <laughs> this was literally... This was the worst week mm-hmm. since we've launched Game Face. This morning I was trying to think, well, because usually in the morning I think about like what you're going to pick, so I yeah. get my head in order for what we're going to talk about. And like this morning I'm like, 
I have no idea what, what he's going to do. I literally pulled a rabbit out of the hat to have this show today. I, I, I literally almost canceled the show. And you want to know why I didn't cancel the show? Because the penguins were yeah. playing? Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> why. <laughs> because I knew if I canceled it, everyone would say you canceled it because of the penguins. And I knew I couldn't let that happen. So hopefully the show is good enough. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Uh, we had to work hard to put this episode together. So I hope you guys had a good time. It is obviously much shorter than our typical episode. But like I've always said, uh, we're not going to pad the show out just to make it longer. We're just going to make sure it's as long as it needs to be. So... As always, thanks for watching. Everybody in Europe, if you stayed up to watch the show, as always, we appreciate it. We appreciate every single one of you guys. Uh, the chat looks like it's been absolutely awesome. Good to see Alston in there tonight, one of the Sifted All-Stars. Uh, so, as always, thank you. Have a great night. Game Face is up and out.